Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yes, indeed. It is Tuesday, March 19th, and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. On the program, Chicago Reader columnist Maya Duke. Please stop snapping. But Chicago Reader columnist Maya Duke Masova returns for another backroom deal. It's our first Nick Offerman Chicago Theater ticket giveaway. It's another Monroe Tuesday with legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. And we welcome ace attorney Jim Coogan of Dwyer and Coogan. And now your host, not a lawyer. Boy, that'd be the worst thing ever. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Suck Up Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, it was okay. Uh, just okay. Yeah, huh? I mean, it's Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Long right. gone. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Right, well, well, I saw a movie, saw a basketball game, ate some pizza, uh, ducked and dodged all the drunken revelers over the weekend, St. Patrick's Day. There were a ton of them. Had to go downtown. Man, more drunken teenagers in the city of Chicago on St. Patrick's Day. Anyway, then I had to get down to business, folks. Meaning, I've been reading story after story about, among other things, that disease tweets from the lunatic that we have elected president of the United States. We're talking Donald John Trump, folks, who cannot cannot bring himself somehow or other to denounce open displays of white nationalism, hatred, racism, etc., like the lunatic in New Zealand who shot 50 people for merely being Muslims. Going into the mosque, I, Trump still cannot bring himself to denounce white nationalism, even when it's on such an ugly display. I needed a break from all this, folks. So thank goodness. Thank goodness. Today's Sun Times, right here. My beloved Bright Oh, show those listeners that uh, newspaper, okay. please. My beloved Bright A very funny story from Fran Spielman, uh, City Hall. Uh, a City Hall reporter for the Sun-Times. Man, Fran Spielman covers the beach. He does it all. You're talking about Fran the Woe Man Spielman? Yes, Fran Spielman also hosts the Fran Spielman Show Check right here at the Chicago Sun-Times. Anyway, this this story is pretty funny, folks. I think we put it on the Facebook. Didn't you put it on Facebook, D? Yeah. That's already on our Facebook page. Inside Rom's email tout box. All right, now this is Mayor Rom. Uh, as he heads down the stretch before he leaves office, he's still promoting his brand, still sending out emails to various, uh, you know, pundits and reporters and high-ranking officials all over the place. But what a great job he's doing. Um, Fran secured these emails by doing a public records request, a FOIA request. Anyway, the part of the story I really enjoyed were the emails that were sent to Rahm, okay, which uh, had full suck-up display, 100%. All these people trying to suck up to the man. Come on, Chicago, you're better than that. You don't have to be so blatant about it. Now, I'm going to read a few of these, D, just to give you a flavor and sense of some of these emails. But you know what? I'm going to cut these people slack. I'm not going to read their names, all right? You know oh, what? What a nice guy. <laughs> well, they probably didn't figure out that they write some suck-up email to Mayor Rahm that would end up in the Chicago Sun-Times. You know what I'm saying? So, uh... Jarofsky's sweet, guys. Come on. <laughs> 
but oh my God, this is embarrassing. Here's, how about this one? This one came on September 14th. A gushing email, uh, Fred Spielman calls it, Tim Emanuel, after he about from someone who heard him speak at the Chicago His- History Museum. Quote, you did a fantastic job speaking. I was literally moved to tears. Moved to tears by something Rom said? Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. Fought to regain my composure when you address your reasons for not running. Oh, my God. Okay. His reasons for not running, I'll tell you why he didn't run. It had nothing to do with wanting to spend more time with his family or whatever he said. The poll showed he was going to lose. That's why he didn't run. No, no, Don't waste any tears for Rahm on that decision. Your, announced, your announcement shocked me, and I remained shocked. I cannot imagine anyone else as mayor. A New Yorker asked me, do Chicagoans know how respected Rahm is around the world? <laughs> You know what I always say, D, the farther away you get from the city of Chicago, the more respected Rahm Emanuel becomes. Anyway, many people have expressed to me their shock and worry that you aren't running again. You are a great mayor, a phenomenal elected official. Nobody can fill your and the first lady's shoes. Wow. Okay. And then there's this one. Uh, this one was actually written on August 31st by a real estate broker uh, who had read a front page story in the Sun-Times with the headline, what is he waiting for? This is a story, I remember this story, D. This is the one in which people are starting to wonder, hey, is what's with Rahm? How come he hasn't declared his intention uh, to run for mayor? Obviously, he was waiting for some poll results to see you know, how bad things were. We also, if you don't forget, let's, like, let's give Pat Quinn a shout out. Hey, Pat. Uh, Pat Quinn was uh, initiating uh, the referendum in which Chicagoans would get to decide on whether they wanted to limit a mayor to two terms. We still don't know if that referendum uh, passed because it's been buried in litigation ever since. But uh, anyway, so Rahm had a lot on his plate. He hadn't decided whether he was going to run, or at least he hadn't announced yet. Uh, I think most people figured he was going to run, but he hadn't announced yet. So this guy writes, I read the article in Thursday's Sun-Times regarding when, if you'll announce, and I couldn't help but shake my head. I would imagine there are other things that could write about instead of an election that is over six months away. I personally hope you wait until the end of the petition filing period before you make any announcement. I always love it when people are sucking up to somebody by denouncing the media. Oh, what a waste of time to care, right? You should just let them. They should not even write about whether you're going to run again until you've decided to run again. That's how great you are, old master, my mayor. The pile, and here's, here's the conclusion this guy might wish he had never written. The pile of mayoral wannabes is doing nothing to set themselves apart from each other, let alone you. You are doing what you should be doing, governing, circulating petitions, and raising money. The moment you announce all the TV ads and pointless back and forth on everything, but the issues facing our city will begin and become annoying by week's end. Best of luck in 2019. Hope to see your name on the ballot. End of email. And as Fran closes the story, five days later, Emmanuel announced his political retirement. You know, the funny thing is now these uh, emails came out in the Sun-Times. I wonder what they're writing now to Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle. You know, having so totally sucked up to Mayor Rahm, now they got to worry about the new mayor. Here's the email being composed today. Don't believe anything I wrote. My email was hacked. Putin did. Uh, come on, Chicago. You're better than that. You don't have to suck up to all powerful mayors. Anyway, we got a great show today, D. We've switched everything around. Monroe Anderson, 
He'll be in here. He'll be talking Trump, Trump, Trump. Maya Dukmasova will be back. We switched her to two. I know, it's so complicated. Uh, she'll be talking Rom, Rom, Rom in a mayoral election, uh, Tony and Lori. A lot of political talk from her. And, of course, ace attorney Jim Coogan. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Jim was always on my old show. He picked apart all the legal news of the day. And he's been doing his homework, getting ready to talk uh, all the various uh, legal issues facing Donald Trump, including we're going to probably talk about that article in the New York Times. Interesting story in the New York Times about Deutsche Bank, uh, which uh, lent a lot of the money to Trump that he needed to build uh, many of his big enterprises, including the uh, Trump Tower right here in the city of Chicago and how Trump tried to weasel out of that loan, man. I'll tell you what. You got to give Trump credit on one level. The guy is really uh, audacious when it comes to trying to weasel out of his obligations. So we'll be talking uh, all the legal issues of the day with the great Jim Coogan. But before we do any of that, we got the news with Dr. D. All right, everybody. It's the middle of the day. How's it going? Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Well, what do you know? Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is in Chicago today, Ben. Oh, is she? And unless Benny J has a big surprise for all of us, including me, no, Nancy Pelosi will not be hanging with us in our beautiful Chicago Reader Sun studio. Oh, Oh, hi, Nancy. Oh, Oh, that was you knocking on the table. Knocking on heaven's door. Nancy Pelosi, you can read about it. It was in Lynn Sweet's column in the Sun-Times today, D. Sadly, Nancy Pelosi will not be hanging with us in these uh, studios here. Uh, Maybe next time. No, Pelosi's in town to headline a fundraiser for House Democrats with events in the city coming up for Democratic 2020 presidential hopefuls Jay Inslee and Kirsten Gillibrand. Mm -hmm. Jay Inslee from Washington, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. And speaking of 2020 presidential hopefuls, our look ahead into the 2020 presidential race continues. At the moment, we now have 15 Democrats in the POTUS election. I haven't checked in the last five minutes. Maybe there's four more that jumped in. (laughs) 15? That's one more than the mayor's race. Yeah, one more. Again, we got time still. But uh, at the moment, 15 Democrats in the POTUS election uh, looking to put an end to quite possibly the most bizarre and absurd presidential tenure we'll ever encounter in our lifetime. Which candidate will, will... Square off against Donald Trump in 2020. Well, one candidate who, by the way, was considered to be the front runner once upon a time, you know, until that whole uh, DNA test thing happened. Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. Warren held a town hall meeting on CNN last night. The Massachusetts senator was in Jackson, Mississippi, to answer her potential voters questions from the future of health care in America to her plan to break up tech giants like Amazon and Facebook Warren touched on several issues. I have some audio of the town hall. Shout out to CNN for that audio, by the way. First, let's cover that uh, giant elephant in the room, the DNA test. Yes, Mm. that time when we learned that Elizabeth Warren is part Native American, but only 1 to 1,024th Native American, which for those wondering, is barely Native American. Here's Warren. Oh, let me pull up the audio here. Here is Warren at last night's town hall to talk about that DNA test. How do you respond to people who think that regardless of the underlying facts, the way you handled the question of your Native American heritage was tone deaf, offensive, and indicative of a lack of presidential tact? Well, I grew up in Oklahoma. I learned about my family from my family. And based on that, that's that's just kind of who I am. And I do the best I can with it. You know, there was an investigation. Nothing I ever did or my family played any role in any job I ever got. But I'll tell you this, I have now done 38 town halls in Massachusetts last year. And this is my 32nd town hall since January. 
And what I've discovered is that people care a lot about what's happening to their lives. Yes, that's a classic pivot by uh, Elizabeth Warren. All right, let's just back up a little bit and talk about this. Uh, this has been an issue for Elizabeth Warren for many, many years, going back to an, uh, an application, I believe it is, I'm doing this off the top of my head, at Harvard, where she claimed that uh, she was at least, uh, at least part Native American. Uh, Donald Trump has latched onto it. He's been mocking her nonstop. You know how Donald Trump applies a nickname, a negative nick- nickname, to undercut the credibility of somebody he's running against. He did it to Ted Cruz. He did it to Hillary Clinton. He uh, did it to Elizabeth Warren, called her Pocahontas. Democrats freaked out they, and because they didn't like the way she responded. And I think uh, it was an awkward, bad response where she had the DNA test to try to prove and establish that she was in part uh, Native American. And so it just, it just made a bad situation even worse. Uh, but you were the one who always told me this, D. You get down in that mud with Donald Trump, you're going to get all muddy and wrecked up. And maybe it's sometimes better to stay out of it. Uh, Trump's been having, like I said, a field day. And Toy Hutchinson, State Senator Toy Hutchinson, a good friend of the show, will be coming back soon. She gave some advice but last time when she was on the show. And she said, you know, Elizabeth Warren should just deal with it uh, from her heart. Speak about, you know, this is how we talk when we were kids growing up. Uh this is just something I heard from my family from a long time ago. I didn't mean anything to insult anybody. And then pivot and move on and put it behind her. And that's what she's trying to do. The interesting thing about that uh, bit, who was the, uh, who was the, you don't know, the interrogator said presidential tact. Uh, <laughs> I would, that was pretty funny. I wrote that down. In the age of Donald Trump, presidential tact. Um, I think that uh, all you know, the bar is pretty low. The bar has just been like eradicated in regards to tact. So uh, in the age of Donald Trump. So I think that Elizabeth Warren, I do not believe uh, that this will be an issue going forward for Elizabeth Warren, uh, at least in in the Democratic primary. Uh, But you can bet that Donald Trump will be raising it uh, if she if she's to emerge to run against him. Uh, in the general. All right. So now that we've got the Native American issue out of the way, let's talk the real issues here. Warren first addressed the socialist question. Now, unlike Mr. $27 himself, Bernie <laughs> Sanders, Elizabeth Warren recently said that yeah. she is not a democratic socialist, yeah. insisting she was a capitalist. Mm-hmm. And last night in Mississippi, she doubled down on that claim. Here's Elizabeth Warren. So how and to what degree will your policies encourage the traditional value of self-reliance, offering financially challenged Americans a hand up, but not a hand out? So, you know, this one really, this is just a reminder that folks can say whatever they want, but the reality is, at least for me, I believe in markets, and I believe in the value that we get out of markets, but it's got to be markets with rules. You know, market without rules is theft. But with rules, a market with rules, a market with a cop on the beat to enforce those rules, that's how it is that small businesses get a chance to start and to grow. All right, market with rules. I I agree with her uh, 100%. I just like to go back to the question, the way it's phrased, traditional values. People want a hand out, not a hand up. Look, if we've learned anything, if we learned anything from the expose that uh, emerged, what was it? Uh, what was it last week in regards to the cheating that's gone on to get uh, 
wealth, the sons and daughters of wealthy kids into uh, schools like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody, there's no, this notion that this is like a meritocracy where nobody gets a hand up or a, it's all about individual worth and hustle. And a, come on, folks. You know this game is rigged to a large degree. So anybody who tries to offer uh, guidance or, or hope or uh, for the poorest of poor, uh, to help the poorest of poor, always has to ask and answer these questions. Well, why are you looking for handouts? Why are you looking for welfare? Why don't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? I want to know what Republican has pulled him or herself up by his or her bootstraps. Who didn't get a handout? That line about George Bush, that was he... Uh, he, he thinks that uh, you know he had a triple and he doesn't realize that he was born in third base. I think that is so true and so, uh, so indicative of, of the backgrounds of so many Republicans, including the president of the United States, Donald Trump, whose father was a very wealthy developer in New York City and was giving Donald Trump allowances of tens of thousands of dollars from the time he was a little bit of baby. So I, I have a hard time with the question itself. And as in terms of uh, market with rules, I absolutely agree with her. Uh, uh, Miles Porter, who uh, our office editor knows himself, Major League Baseball, which is owned by a lot of capitalists, there's rules and regulations governing whether how much money a player, a team can sign a player to without having to uh, pay a fine or a fee. Same thing in football. There's caps on salaries in football, caps on salaries in basketball and hockey. All these capitalists, when they come together, they impose rules to govern their markets so that the richest one among them will not have the advantage. So the notion that we could have this free enterprise system without rules is a fantasy. So I give her credit for responding that way. All right, we'll do two more here. Uh, let's see. Very similar to uh, the story surrounding R. Kelly, R&B singer R. Kelly. I guess we finally decided that we care about something else that's been going on for decades. College emissions scandals. Federal prosecutors say 50 people took part in a scheme that involved either cheating on standardized tests or bribing college coaches and school officials to accept students as college athletes. Warren was asked her thoughts on those facing federal charges and her plan to curb it. How would you not only improve but make the educational system fair for all American people? All right, so thank you. Don't cheer at the questions. Cheer at the answers, guys. Uh, you know, this Come scandal on. just shows one more time that some folks who are rich just think they don't have to play by the same set of rules as anyone else and that they can use their money to do whatever it is in terms of buying influence. We have to put a stop to that. And it's, it's not just, it's everywhere now. And, and we're here talking about a presidential primary. It's everywhere in Washington. You know, I just, I want to say something about democracy for a minute. I get that we have a lot of differences. There'll be some people have a little more money, some people have a little less, some people who go further in school, some people who don't. But the one thing we should all own an equal share of is an equal share of our democracy. We need a government that doesn't just listen to the rich and the powerful, but a government that listens to all of us. 
All right. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is coming out strong. Uh, that's a strong voice for the Democrats, and those are resounding themes that I think uh, could help the Democrats. As we leave the mayor's race, April 2nd, we'll be talking more and more about the issues facing uh, Democratic voters uh, in the upcoming primaries. Uh, on the front page of the New York Times is a headline that kind of gets at the heart of everything. Democrats split over health care at a key moment. Medicaid for all feud. Uh, this gets at the heart of sort of the split between the moderates and the Elizabeth Warren types, the Bernie Sanders types uh, in the Democratic Party. Though Bernie technically is not a Democrat. Isn't that right, D? Uh, he's not a Democrat, but uh, he's running in the Democratic Party uh, primary. Anyway, this gets at the heart of things. How far to the left are the Democrats willing to go in this upcoming primary, in this upcoming congressional session without fear of alienating the middle? So this is a conflict that's going to be at the heart of Democratic politics for the next year or so. All right. And finally, during her CNN town hall speech in Jackson, Mississippi, Massachusetts Senator and now 2020 presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren was asked about the I word. Uh Oh, impeachment (laughs) and Donald Trump. What is your position on the impeachment of Donald Trump? (laughs) Sharing the questions again. So we have a report that is due from the special prosecutor any day now. Uh, Understand that that investigation from Mr. Mueller has produced already, I believe it's 34 indictments or guilty pleas. This is a serious investigation. We need to protect him in finishing that report, and then that report needs to be made public to the American people. When we get it, we will know what to do with it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Publicize the Mueller report. Uh, that's about the best answer you can give to a question like that. But, I, D, I'll tell you what, the cheers from the audience. Uh, this is the one unifying theme if the in the Democratic campaigns. Uh, as we head down the, the road to the, the showdowns, is Democrats dislike Donald Trump. I think you could say that. And uh, the impeachment fervor is strong. Uh, and, you know, the Democratic candidates have to be cautious. You don't have to worry. You know, you don't want to get too far ahead of it. So they're all playing that game. Well, we have to see the Mueller report, you know. Yeah, we're going to have to wait to see uh, for wait, that wait. Mueller report. Wait, yeah. what, what's that, Donald Trump? What did you say? Wait, hold on, what? No collusion. Oh. <laughs> Okay, nope, I mean, that's all you need no to collusion. know. All right, Trump said it. Must be true. It's got to be true. All right. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on this story as today's program rolls along. Also, right now on uh, both our Twitter and Facebook pages, we're doing a poll, a oh. Twitter poll. And boy, Whoa. this millennial is stepping up his game, Ben. A Facebook poll. I did that as well. Whoa, uh, you are really millennial. I'm trying, man. I'm, You're feeling your inner millennial. I'm literally trying as hard as I can. Uh, I've tweeted and deleted so many times. But no, uh, a Facebook and Twitter poll, Elizabeth Warren for president? That's the question. Uh-huh. You got three options on the Twitter page, yay, nay, or meh. Okay. And I couldn't add meh to Facebook, <laughs> so it's just yay or nay. All so right. uh, please feel free to uh, weigh in on that poll and leave us your responses as well. Now, like I said, we'll keep you posted on that story as today's program rolls along. But Benny J, mm-hmm. you wouldn't happen to be ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois, would you? I was born ready. It's never a bad answer. <laughs> Believe it or not, never, especially at this time, because coming up after this short little break, 
We're going to find out what else is news. I can't wait, because you know the doctor's got a little trick up his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. Hi, this is Nick Offerman. I'm taking my show on the road and subjugating an audience to my humor. All rise, American humorist Nick Offerman is coming September 15th on stage at the Chicago Theater. It's an evening of deliberative talking and light dance that will compel you to chuckle while enjoining you to brandish a better side of humanity than the one to which we have grown accustomed. seats are on sale noon Friday, March 22nd at the box office or at Ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Nick Offerman live. Oh, no, I won't. Ben. <laughs> that was very good work you did there, Ben. Uh, thank you. you. know, I've been in the radio business for a while, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you I went to radio school? Oh, yeah, yeah. You've told me that. Uh, it wouldn't be true if I did. So there you are, everybody. Uh, we're about to find out what's going on locally now. It's time for What Else is News. But before we take the deep dive into what's going on locally, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you guessed it. We're talking about the Chicago mayor's race. We have to talk about... Uh, an event happening in Chicago, this one way after the election. You just heard the uh, mm-hmm. little commercial there. Nick Offerman, that's right. He's going to be in town September 15th at the Chicago Theater. And uh, actor, comedian, entertainer Nick Offerman, a.k.a. Parks and Recreation's Ron Swanson, will mm-hmm. be in town. He'll be performing at the Chicago Theater for what I'm sure will be a hilarious performance. And the press people behind the scenes, well, they were kind enough to throw some tickets our way to give away to our listeners. We actually have three pair of tickets to give away and our first nick offerman ticket contest will begin in the second hour okay. of the program all right the two o'clock hour uh but just a helpful hint here uh, be ready with your phone charged all right you're gonna have to do a lot of research to get these tickets today <laughs> make sure your smartphone is okay. fully charged all right you're gonna, right. gonna do some research once again nick offerman at the chicago theater sunday september 15th your chance to win a pair of tickets on us in the two o'clock hour okay now to the local news mm-hmm. the magic number is 14 Yes, 14 more days until Chicago has a new mayor. It's Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle or former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot. Who's going to win, everybody? And, uh, you know, if you're not planning on voting for her, you got to admit it, that just in this last week, the Lori Lightfoot campaign has done one hell of a job getting her name out there to the public. Aside from her interview on Friday's Ben Jarofsky Show, which you can download at any time, chicago.suntimes.com and chicagoreader.com, I couldn't go anywhere over the weekend without seeing a Lightfoot flyer or yard sign. And even on social media, ever since seeing all the posts online from the St. Patrick's Day parade, the image of Lori Lightfoot in that green hat (laughs) just burned into my brain. We have a new ad to play from Lightfoot. And once again, Lori's campaign knocked it out of the park. Sorry, Tony Preckwinkle supporters, but it's true. Seriously, where's Tony's green hat? Oh, come on. Where are the Tony flyers and yard signs? Where's the new ad from Tony? We'd love to talk about all these things from the Preckwinkle campaign. Just not seeing them, guys. Let's pick up the pace, Preckwinkle campaign. But see, with $5 million you got there, let's put it to use. Uh, but before we play the latest Lightfoot ad, Ben, let's jump in the mud for a bit and talk about some of the mayoral candidate news that broke while we were away. Yeah, sadly, elections tend to bring out the worst in some people, and the following is proof. During a City Hall news conference accepting a few union endorsements Monday morning, Chicago mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot denounced homophobic campaign flyers targeting her that surfaced around the South Side over the weekend. The flyers show a photo of Lightfoot and her wife with their arms around each other. Underneath the picture, the flyer reads, The Gay Equality Act. It's our turn. Below that, in red ink, are the words, First Openly Gay Woman in City Hall. The back of the flyers say Lightfoot is pro-law enforcement and add all contracts, jobs, and employment newly assigned exclusively to gay people. Mm. Now, 
Either the font is super small or the flyer is huge because there's more. The flyer goes on to say, with our people in City Hall, I promise to enforce the Gay Equality Act. All churches will abide by the gay marriage laws. All public restrooms will be gender free. All public schools will teach gay history by mandate. School restrooms must be desegregated. During our news conference Monday, Lightfoot responded by saying, quote, any attempts by anyone to propagate hate, we have to stand together as a city and denounce it unequivocally because hate can have no place in our city. Tony Preckwinkle has denied having anything to do with the literature, saying, quote, I condemn them, have nothing to do with our campaign, Preckwinkle said of the literature on Monday. It's disgraceful. I have no idea where it came from. And as I said, it's despicable. All right, Ben Jarofsky, what say you? Well, uh, first of all, we're going to be talking about this at greater length with uh, Maya, who's, who's in the studio already uh, feverishly preparing for her uh, her appearance, and Monroe Anderson, I'll throw it out to him as well. Um, obviously, it's just despicable. Uh, it's stupid. I'm not sure who is going to be swayed by this flyer. And I believe Tony Prequico. I do not believe in any way the Tony Prequico campaign has anything uh, to do with this. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it does remind me in some ways, I'm being curious what Maya thinks about this when we bring her on. It does remind me some ways of attempts to try to sway black voters to vote for Rahm Emanuel in 2015 by saying that uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia was going to give all city contracts uh, to Mexicans and Hispanics and Latinos, et cetera, et cetera. And so playing upon fears and prejudices that may exist in the black community, that was an attempt by uh, some uh, political strategist back in 2015. But this one is even lower than that one. All right. Anything else you'd like to add before we move on? No, let's move on. I'm going to hear what Maya has to say in a little in a little while. Right, well, first, we got to hear the latest uh, campaign ad from Lori Lightfoot. Uh, let's see here. She's closing her mayoral runoff campaign with a light touch a commercial that features her 11-year-old daughter trying to distract viewers as her mom delivers a serious message about ending business as usual at City Hall. All right, it's uh, another one of these uh, ads where they have one of these hip little one- or two-word titles. The ad from Lori Fight, uh, Lightfoot is titled, Focus. I'm Lori Lightfoot, and I'm running for mayor for our daughter's future and all Chicago's children. That's why nothing will distract me from bringing real change to Chicago by breaking the grip of Ed Burke and the corrupt political machine. Focusing on public safety in every neighborhood, investing in our local schools, and making sure families can afford to stay in the city. The politics of the past haven't served us. It's time to bring in the light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you liked it. I'm sorry, just that laugh at the end by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so, folks, uh, you've probably seen this one already. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's daughter is parading behind her, playing the trumpet, doing all kinds of things to distract her. And then uh, this is the part that, uh, yeah, obviously this is an attempt to uh, humanize Lori Lightfoot. Maybe they're already thinking about that uh, that uh, anti-gay flyer that was coming out, uh, an attempt to uh, just make her seem like an absolutely regular, ordinary human being. Uh, because most Chicagoans don't know Lori Lightfoot. This is the first time they're meeting her as she's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Most Chicagoans know who Tony Preckwinkle is. She's been around the political scene for a long, long time. But the the little side for me, and I'm curious what uh, Maya has to say about this later, uh, the little girl's doing a dance, all right? So in in each newspaper account, 
uh, D, of this campaign, on uh, this ad, uh, Gregory Pratt and uh, Fran Spielman, Gregory Pratt from the Tribune, Fran from the Sun-Times, point out that it's called flossing. I did not know the name of that. I'm like, what? Flossing? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that would wake my up. She's like, I knew what flossing is. Anyway, I never heard of wait, never heard of flossing, so I had to go like look it up on the internet. What's flossing? Well, you're not surprised that Ben's never heard of something that's current, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I did not know that. Sorry, my but anyway, I did not know what flossing was. It kind of irritated me that like Gregory Pratt and Fran Spielman knew about it before I did. Oh, but how's that Instagram page going, by the way? The one thing he's in charge of. I got hey, you Twitter know what? And Facebook. He's Instagram. Some flossing uh, gifts on his Twitter. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to say this about flossing. I'm just going to throw this out there. Millennials or younger millennials. Even what are they called if they're younger than a millennial? Like a. Z, this is like ZZ top because this is younger than Z's. Anyway, you know, flossing. It's like the twist. Do you know what the twist is? Hang it's all this is the twist. You know, oh boy, twist. Chubby Checker references today on the Ben Jarofsky Very show. Very good. That uh, awesome. That's one of Maya's favorite songs. The oh, twist. Really? Yeah, you know? All right. <laughs> Never knew that. All right. So uh, Maya didn't know it either. Ben Jarofsky, I'm gonna put you uh, in the hot seat. Here. Yeah, all flossing. Right. I love okay, flossing. We're done talking about flossing. Oh, all right. Yeah. On a one to five scale, what do you rate? <laughs> By the way, one star being uh, awful, five yeah. being amazing. Yeah. What do you rate? Well, yeah, I think it's a. Very, I, I think I give it a five for effectiveness and humanizing uh, Lori Lightfoot. Personally, I just I don't go. I mean, I know you have to do this. This is about politics. I like to stick to the issues. You know, I'm. But uh, you know, it's very effective. I got to admit, when the kids blowing the trumpet and doing the flossing. Uh, you know, yeah. Ooh, uh, ben gave it a five for the flossing. Uh, for the flossing, but uh, you know, folks, uh, I always thought flossing was a dental thing. Oh, anyway. he's got a million of yeah. them, guys. We just got started. <laughs> Get ready. Good lord! All right, but just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on yeah, right. in Chicago, and now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, mm-hmm. "Hey, what else is news?" All right, very good. Let me tell you something, young man. Okay. All right. Something that Jim Coogan, our guest at 2.30 agrees. Something that Coogan Bluff. Yes, that's where the the Giants used to play their baseball games. He's hip, isn't he, guys? And something that Bluffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) says. Did you call her Bluffy the Vampire? (laughs) That that was like a joke, Bluffy. Bluff. Anyway, they all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. You know, Nick Offerman, who needs to see him? Go check Ben Jarofsky out at the Chicago Theater. Nick Offerman. By the way, we're the Millers. Best Nick Offerman comedy of all time, even though he's not the star of it, but he's he's still pretty funny. Anyway, they all agree, and Nick Offerman agrees as well. You did a great job. Give yourself a, a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Maya on deck. We'll be right back. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. 
Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. We are at the Chicago Sun-Times in our beautiful studio. Maya Dumasova from the Chicago Reader, my partner in crime on so many different ventures, uh, is with me again. Usually it's on Thursdays. We switch her to Tuesdays. I don't know. It's complicated, Maya. We're switching it up today. We're switching it up today. Uh, Anyway, we may just keep it on Tuesdays. It's a lot of fun having you. And part of the reason we're doing uh, the show with you on a uh, Tuesday is because when we're done with this show, we're going to be taping our podcast. Is that not correct, Maya? That's right. We're gonna we're getting a second season of the podcast uh, coming out shortly. So we have a few new episodes um, that are going to be about the runoff elections. So I know folks have been asking about it. So we're de- we're going to deliver before <laughs> before April second. You're going to have a fresh batch of episodes of Backroom Deal, and um, we will also be having on election night, April second a live stream live show uh of the backroom deal uh we're making it bigger this time it'll be at mars uh at the mars tap room in bridgeport so we go back to back to the origin of the 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 smoky origins of the backroom deal in bridgeport um There'll be more information about this on the reader's social media channels and on the website as well. So look out for that. But it'll be um, starting about uh, six o'clock, I think, on uh, April 2nd on election night. Come join us. Hang out. There'll be a DJ. Uh, We'll have music. There'll be good beer. There'll be food and lots of conversation. We'll have some special guests. So and we'll be live streaming it, too, for those who prefer to receive us in their neighborhood. bars. (laughs) Well, we did this once before. We really are. upping our game on election the first election i the first go around uh, we were in the some back room of the chicago uh reader a small office there yeah. and there were four of us in there uh brianna was in there and karen was in there as well i hope brianna and karen can join us yeah. uh, on april 2nd oh, as yeah. well a lot of fun to have them aboard but yeah the dj and food and music and gas so uh we're really upping our game backroom deal. All right, now uh, be, let's get down to the business, Maya, of what's on the front page of both newspapers today. False flag.
flyer on the Sun-Times. The Gay Equality Act, It's Our Turn, First Openly Gay Woman in City Hall, a flyer that was distributed outside some churches on the south side yesterday, or Sunday, excuse me, uh, an attempt to somehow or other um, use anti-gay attitudes against Lori Lightfoot to get voters to vote f- uh, against her and vote for Tony Preckwinkle. What's your thoughts on this um, this story? I mean, this is this 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 is so absurd. I can't even be. I can't even. I can't even like. It doesn't even compute for me that this is getting so much press. This is so absurd. Like, uh, the, and and the, I'm looking at a picture of the flyer and the combo of like. <laughs> of various types of like bo- like bo- dog boogeyman dog whistles so it's like pro law enforcement and then all contracts jobs and employment newly assigned exclusively to gay people <laughs> like it, yeah. it, you know uh w- w- promise to enforce gay equality act like all of this is just like what, like this is the, the tar- who, i'm just thinking about like who is the target audience for this this is like this is like a uh, somebody who is worried about uh, police overreach or like is somehow anti, you know, has negative attitudes towards the police and also negative attitudes towards gay people and uh, and also really worried about getting city contracts and jobs. I feel like this is just like such a niche audience <laughs> that this is aimed for. Like what, like... I don't know. It's, or, or it's, 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 it's horrible. And I would think like this is really also treating people like they're stupid. I hate stuff like that. Yeah. Like, well, people it's, are just treated like they're stupid. It, it, it's like every possible conceivable thing that might stir someone to vote against Lori. So, for instance, oh, don't like gays. She's gay. Oh, you don't like cops? She's a cop. Even though she's oh, not so take- you think that this is actually like, uh, it's not aimed at one person who intersects all of these interests. It's yes. just like yelling at yeah. any any kind of... Yeah. Na- <laughs> Which is really weird because think about this, because a millennial activist who's been at the forefront of the uh, movement against police brutality is not going to be turned off against Lori because she's gay. I mean, Do- half of those activists are queer. Okay. Yeah. So, so any Thing, you're turning them off by appealing to homophobia to get voters. Yeah. So uh, it's so bad on so many levels that part of me wonders who is behind it. You know what I'm saying? Who? who okay, somebody sat on their computer and it uh, clearly, probably in Microsoft Paint. I seriously doubt that whoever this was working with Photoshop, whoever did this. But like somebody sat at their computer and was like, "All right, you guys, like we're gonna put together this. This is gonna be like this is gonna we're gonna hit Lori. Like this is what we're, the flyer we're gonna put together. Like, there was some sort of like strategy session. And like it also makes me think like were these printed on like glossy cards? Were these like inkjet printers? Like were there like tons and tons of these? Was was somebody like handing them out? Like did somebody have a stack of these that they were handing out to people? Or did these sort of like show up pinned up somewhere? Mm-hmm. You know, was it like somebody at their house who printed off a couple of dozen of these and put them around, you know, the neighborhood? Or uh, is this somebody, you know, like some sort of operation putting these out? Because I mean, yeah. Do you it's, think this will work on any level? Like, do you think there's a voter out there who's going to see this and vote against Lori Lightfoot? Not even saying vote for Tony Preckwinkle, just vote against Lori Lightfoot. Uh, well, so this was this this was distributed 
uh, it says that they were distributed in some area churches. I'm guessing these were black churches that this was. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. this is okay. I'm not gonna. I'm. It, I don't think it's my place to speculate about whether or not uh, there are people who. Uh, have these kinds of positions who are like who 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 hold a constellation of these kinds of views but clearly whoever made this thinks that this is going to work yeah. that, that that there are people to whom this is an appealing message who um you know are afraid i guess afraid of gay people and also don't like the police um <laughs> i you know i really i really <clears throat> don't feel like it's my place to say like oh like this is going to work or it isn't but i just i just i don't know i think this is really ta- like t- appealing to the basest kind of uh, political rhetoric that you could have possibly appealed to. And, and, and I really do think that this is like treating people like they're stupid. Um, as, as if at this point, p- most people who are going to vote aren't already at least somewhat educated about who the candidates are. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who won't vote for Lightfoot because she's gay. Like, I'm sure there's some people like that out there. But um, they already but, know that she's gay. Yeah. Like, what, what is this breaking news? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's the part uh, when when folks talked to when when Tony at the, the debate with Carol Marine debate about a week ago. We may have talked about this last week, Maya, uh, where Tony's when they were asked, each candidate was asked to say something nice about the other candidate. And uh, Lori said, oh, Tony did a great job uh, with health care at the county. Uh, so she gave a very specific compliment about Tony's performance as a public official. Mm-hmm. And then it was Tony's turn. And instead of talking about anything that Lori had done as a lawyer or as a police board member or, uh, you know, was um, uh, a federal prosecutor, she said, uh, well, I, I appreciate that she's been honest about her sexual preference. And so immediately... Uh, speculation was well, so she was dog whistling. Um, I, again, I it, it, I don't know. I, I, it, let's say she was. Like, how is that even going to work? Everybody, it's not like anybody like. Oh my god, I didn't know that, honey. Come to the TV. Did you know that Lori Lightfoot's gay? I did not know that. You know so, what I'm oh, saying? You're saying you're like whether or not uh, if if Tony's <laughs> campaign was behind this flyer. I mean, okay, here's what I'll say about that. I agree with your theory, what you said earlier, that you don't think that, that her people are behind this. Um, I sort of also, like, this This just seems so incredibly stupid. Uh, but I'll say this, if they were behind, if anybody affiliated with Tony's campaign was behind this, yeah. I would say that, like, it would, it would be the kind of disappointment that would fit in neatly with the overall, like, just bad 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 call after bad call her campaign has made and like the like i really i mean i i would really i i would hate to think that people political operatives operating on the level of vying to be you know to to place a mayor of the third largest city in the country in city hall like that those people would be operating on this on this kind of basis yeah no that would be uh Tr- truly doesn't speak well for Chicago. All right, that's the kind of political operatives we have running uh, one of the main campaigns. Let's move on to a more substantive discussion about the ongoing <laughs> campaign. Although I'm really dying to get your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot's daughter's the daughter advertised. Oh Please, I don't want to talk about it. I, it's just I. Come on. All right, so let's get down to the issues here, Maya, and that is this. Uh, I may have asked you this before, but um, I've been thinking a lot about this as we head down uh, the stretch here. Is there a substantive difference, in your humble opinion, between Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot on the crucial issues of the day facing Chicago? 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and and the number one substantive issue being that we have no idea, like, who Lori Lightfoot is outside of her persona as, like, a criminal justice reform adjacent person. Like, there there is what there's a substantive... The substantive difference being is we have a candidate with an actual record and a candidate with no record outside of her work in, again, in this very narrow field of a very important aspect of, you know, what makes the city run and the issues of the day. But like, that's only one thing. That's that's the only that's the only the only data we have on her is about her record in the criminal justice arena. And even that's very mixed. I mean, there's there's. There's all kinds of discussions about how that, you know, she's not, she, she, she's like presenting herself not in a very uh, honest way about her record as a like quote unquote police reformer. There's all kinds of people who talk about how her being the police board, uh, um, you know, the head of the police board was not, she wasn't like a progressive in that position. And I actually just a couple, um, a couple of days ago, I was having a, uh, uh, a conversation with, with someone who worked very intensely around the Chicago Police Accountability Task Force um, uh, like process, mm-hmm. which Lori Lightfoot was the head of. She was like the lead author of the report that was put out. And for those who might not remember, after the Laquan McDonald scandal, as the DOJ launched its, the Department of Justice launched its investigation of the Chicago Police Department, Mayor Rahm was like, well, I'm creating a blue ribbon commission. We're going to do our own process mm-hmm. and figure out what's going on here. And that was the Police Accountability Task Force. And he, you know, picked Lori to, to, to head that. And apparently, according to my source, um, the, so Lori gets a lot of credit now for the report that the task force produced having been like very scathing of the police and like sort of very kind of um, really uh, not pulling any punches with regards to like the racism and discrimination that's happening within within policing in the city. And, and, and the report did not make the mayor look good. So Lori gets a lot of credit for for producing that kind of report. But according to my source, who was like close to this whole process, she was not the leader who was pushing to make the report be that. There was a whole lot of community organizers and other, and other all kinds of organizing essentially happening mm-hmm. around, uh, uh, with other, in terms of other people on the task force to, to push this whole thing to be an honest representation and, and, and like a, uh, like not just like some, you know, some, some, something, some formality. So she was in a sense forced, carried along by this other tide to take this position. She had to be, she, it was not her leadership. She had to be pushed to Mm -hmm. make this happen. And I'll say that after hearing that, it made me think, well, uh, that may speak well in terms of her amenability to being, to being pushed in the right direction on issues, okay. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the fact that she had to be pushed, uh, it, it, rather than be the leader who was who was who was creating this kind of momentum mm-hmm. around this report, that yeah. I guess it you know is like a, a it's a, a different a different perspective Absolutely. on that. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah so I I guess when it, you know when when it comes to everything else, there's just uh, that I I don't have a sense of who Lori is, like what her politics are. And I mean politics in the sense of like, like where was her uh, 
kind of moral consciousness, social consciousness forged. And the narrative she taught, she, she, she tells about that, about that evolution is I find like very truncated, like this idea of like, oh, like growing up poor, growing up like this uh, as, as a kid that's like doesn't fit into all of these kind of societal boxes and then like coming out and and uh, and I don't just mean coming out of you know in a, in a personal way but like just coming out on top like mm-hmm. being successful in the corporate world being successful in like the civic arena um, you know that that her I, I find that her narrative around that isn't very rich with detail um, and whereas Tony is a person who uh, I mean, notwithstanding her general lack of being able to tell a good narrative about herself, she has like a, there's a public record of who she is as a person and what her politics are. And I think we just, I don't know, we have a lot more data points to be able to pinpoint, okay, well, this is like, this is what her worldview is. Mm -hmm. Lori Lightfoot's worldview to me is like still very much of a mystery. Absolutely. It's very well said. And, And listening to you, I almost feel a column forging in my mind here because I view Tony Preckwinkle. I've watched her career for a long time, uh, Maya, and I've watched her start off as a um, your basic uh, lakefront independent. She's South Lakefront, but lakefront independent with what everything that means in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Heavy emphasis on what we call reform and open government and transparency. And her evolution as she got to the city council and began to play the game a little bit into becoming what we call a regular Democrat and everything that means, Mm -hmm. you know, alliances, personal loyalties are more important than issues. So her personal loyalty to people like Joe Berrios and Ed Burke, which help advance her career at the same time, puts her at the opposite sides of so many of the issues that she would have been championing when she first began. So you see Mm -hmm. that evolution in her career. Yeah, Uh, Lori, you're absolutely right. I'm thinking about this. Lori Lightfoot was essentially a corporate lawyer who, as many corporate lawyers, in city of Chicago would be called upon to do some civic duty by the all-powerful mayor. And when she would come in, she would take the, the gig, either as an appointee or um, you know, as a, uh, an advisor, and would generally not rock the boat. The whole point of an appointee is that you can have faith that they will not yeah, seriously... Yeah, they're not going to make you look bad. And that you can you trust bad. them to also uh, not make you look bad in the sense of like, well, this person is not doing their job. They're just some sort of stooge. Like they need to occupy this middle ground of being someone who won't be bad for your reputation, but will also be good for your reputation, which is like a way, like a weird thing to be very good at. Yeah. And I also want to say like, I don't want to sort of, I don't like this... Preckwinkle like attack on her identity as a corporate lawyer like as if that's supposed to be scary that to me that reads the same way as like pro law enforcement all contracts and job are going to gay people like all like saying like oh she's a corporate lawyer like that itself is not meaningful I think there is however some kind of there there is a I uh happen to know a lot of people who've uh recently gone through law school and who are now working at large corporate law firms and there's there's definitely a culture in those spaces and and a politics and a worldview that 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 is part of the sort of social fabric of 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 being in corporate law like part of being at a at a big firm like the the amount of work that people have to put in like first number one thing is like that is those are spaces that are people are working you know like 
60, 70, 80 hour weeks and they're getting paid a lot of money, but they're working an insane amount of time and they have almost no time outside of working to do anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, usually um, very often they have serious problems maintaining even the most personal relationships in their lives. But beyond that, to be like civically engaged in any way, to be doing anything until you become a partner, really. And even then it's very hard. I think your life is entirely your work and Mm -hmm. that affects your worldview that affects your politics. And you you're living in a very rarefied, you're only interacting with people that are also doing that same thing. So I think, I think I've watched this happen to people who have gone into that world. It affects you. It cha- it, it can, it changes who you are. And, um, I'm like very much in, like that is, I think to the root of the key to understanding who she is, is understanding it, it, the culture of, of the, this lawyer culture that she comes from, but it's not because, Oh, it's like, Oh, she's like, you know, whatever rich and disconnected because she's a lawyer. There's more to it. Well, I would add to, uh, what you said at this point and it gets sort of all tied together. If you're a corporate lawyer in the city of Chicago over, over the last 20, 30 years, you're very mainstream in your outlook. And so what you just described is true. You're locked in. You have a certain worldview that's very limited because you're spending so much of your time doing work. But every now and then, you may read the Chicago Tribune or you may listen to something in WBEZ, maybe, maybe. Uh, and But you're locked in and you have a very limited worldview. And that worldview is that who's ever in City Hall, be it Rahm or Mayor Daley, knows what's going on. And you have, like, generally speaking, just a great faith uh, in the power system that exists, largely because you are servicing it. You yeah. get what I'm saying? You're yeah. part of it. And so for Lori Lightfoot at this stage, which is, what, how many years into her career as a corporate lawyer, to suddenly say, I am not part of the power structure. I want to be an outsider. The I don't like the way the power structure has been behaving. And she's been consistent in criticizing Rom for the last two years anyway. Uh, it's interesting. I'm not quite sure I know what to make of it, Maya. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. Did she have like a moment of revelation when... Right. And I and I think that moment may have... Co- so may, I, I... This is totally conjecture, but I think that there's there might have been this com- combination of factors of her becoming a partner and... Uh, attaining as perhaps uh, a, a level of like some breathing room in terms of work becoming engaged civically by becoming this appointee um for you know the police board like starting to work in the last few years in this more in the civic realm more directly um and i don't know i can almost imagine like like it being like, oh, suddenly you're like the, this whole other world opens up to you of other ways, like other new ways of being relating to power, relating to people. And you're at the top. You're you're at the top. You like it's like you emerge out of a tunnel and suddenly you're like, you know, you, you you're interacting with the mayor. You're interacting with all these power brokers, these people who finance campaigns and. Uh, you have a good reputation, you are reliable, you're trustworthy, you're organized, you're like a a respectable, competent person. And you realize there's a space for a person like you to get into politics. And so given the the level at which she was operating, it's not at all surprising that the, the logic would be like, oh, well, I could run for mayor. And it, that it doesn't start with, oh, like, let me try for alderman first. It, that that she was operating, like, you, she was operating at a level that made, I think, that the mental leap from, uh, from, from 
being an, an appointee to being like, well, let me run for mayor. That that's not a huge leap. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this happens on on all levels of politics, and especially the higher up you go, the more you see people who have apparently no record of a, a civic engagement getting and, into the highest level of politics. And the natural inclination of many Preckwinkle supporters that I know, and they're sending me emails all the time and text, is to take a look at everything that we've just been talking about, sort of this evolution of Lori Lightfoot as a public figure and as a critic of the system. A woman who has worked within the system for all these years, as you point out, suddenly emerging in the last two years as a critic of the system. The uh, natural inclination of Tony Preckwinkle people is to say she's a fraud, she doesn't believe in what she says, she's fooling you, don't be fooled, don't be bamboozled, uh, you know, She's going to be Rom too. That's something I hear a lot of, you know, more Rom. Uh, and uh, go with Tony because you know what Tony is. What's your reaction when you hear that from the Tony Perkwinkle crowd? Um, I, any, any kind of criticism of Lori Lightfoot that comes from the Tony Preckwinkle, uh, like ardent to- Tony Preckwinkle base or her campaign affiliates, like I am not, I mean, it's like, I'm very skeptical of it because obviously it's like a p- political operatives doing their thing. But, um, you know, I don't if 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 we are supposed to like the, the people who are for Tony Preckwinkle, I, I don't understand why they're running this like this weird campaign of like being anti Lori. Like that is the community organizers jobs. Like what I see in Chicago is community organizers who are like organizing around a particular issue, running kind of public campaigns against particular candidates without endorsing someone else. So you had this with Emma Mitz and the 37th Ward on the West Side, where there was this push against Emma Mitz without really endorsements for anybody else. You had this with, um, you know, by Anita, like the the anti-Anita Alvarez push, again, in the in the wake of the Laquan McDonald scandal. There's And, and, and there's there, there's other examples of this in, in on a ward level of like, community grassroots pushes against a particular candidate that those can be very powerful. Like it it can be an effective way for, to, to, to unseat an incumbent or unseat a kind of a popular figure, um, that you build up enough uh, awareness that this person shouldn't be in power, but for, but for, but for an opponent's campaign to be running the message of like, don't vote for Lori when they should be focusing on like why Tony is the person to vote for, uh, that like that doesn't make any sense to me and especially when you have like the general like media kind of buzz around tony's campaign is so saturated with all kinds of unsavory things about her that like you know then on top of that she's running a negative campaign it's just not and i don't know it doesn't really add up um it doesn't make sense to me and that's my Basova from the chicago reader my partner in crime we will be doing a whole series of uh, backroom deals some more podcasts more mayor's race talk, more aldermanic talk. Yep. We'll be appearing together April 2nd uh, at, what's the name of the place again? At Mars Tap Room. It's at the Mars Brewery in Bridgeport. The the That's exactly where we'll be down in Bridgeport. <laughs> Me in Bridgeport. Ben will be doing the floss, you guys. <laughs> oh, Come wow. Through. Yeah, I'll be ben doing the floss. I'll be doing the twist, okay? I'm a twist guy. Maya's a flosser. All right. Uh, but Maya's 
not going to discuss that commercial, all right? She's not going to say whether she likes it or not or worked on any level anyway. Uh, I guess we'll have to hold off for another time, Maya. Your analysis of these emails, these are hilarious. Uh, have you seen oh, yeah. this article? We can talk about the emails oh, my the God. National, national political scene. Oh, oh, well, really fast then. i got to ask you, as long as you're here. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Dennis was playing some clips of her speech mm-hmm. and appearance in uh, Jackson, Mississippi mm-hmm. over the weekend. Uh, some of the ad- ideas she's laid out. Uh, I've, I'm, I have to admit uh, that I am encouraged by her campaign and uh, the art, uh, the ideas that she, she's articulating very forcefully, very sharply, uh, and uh, talking in a very specific, clear way, in my humble opinion, Maya, about the need to have a f- more fair distribution of everything in yeah. our society. What's your thoughts about uh, this early stages of Warren's campaign? Yeah, I feel the same way. And I'm actually uh, even more... Um What's even more heartening is to see that she's not the only one. Like the fact that this is like we've got like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both sort of, you know, representing this this like message of, okay, how can we get more wealth redistribution in this country? Like what how can we fundamentally change some of the some of the ways the country works so that this isn't just like constantly reconcentrating wealth and power in the hands of just a few people. Um, And I think it's exciting because uh, you have the 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 sort of um, demographic changes in the country uh the country's getting less white it's getting uh, the millennial sort of generation is is whatever you might say about them not voting enough now like this is the this is the biggest demographic of people um who are going to be deciding elections in the decades to come and uh i think as millennials age they'll vote more that just tends to happen um and th- People, the you know, these are people who've grown up with the internet, who've grown up much more exposed to the rest of the world, and v- see that there's different ways of living. That there's the that you know across the border in Canada, you know, in various parts of Europe, there in Latin America, there's places where you don't have to get into tens of thousands of dollars of debt to get a medical problem serviced. That you don't have to get into tens of thousands of dollars of debt to get a, to get a college education. Like that, like the, that the idea that it's like anti-American for these services to be provided free of charge or at very low cost by the government, like that is not something that resonates with, with younger people. And I think that that's, that's a good thing. Like there's, there's, um, I think we're we're like reacquainting ourselves with some ideas that really like gave us the labor movement in this country, that gave us the working the, the the middle class in this country, and that have really been eroding over time through some very effective messaging from from uh, from the right. But to me, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they both kind of represent this this like mainstreaming of some stuff that we've really lost touch with, and we, we need to reconnect with. Absolutely, especially when we consider uh, we're about to give 1.3 billion dollars to build some upscale development on the north side of Chicago. But that. I will withhold uh, that for another time. Maya, thanks so much for coming on. Monroe Anderson is on deck. More political talk when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hi, this is Nick Offerman. I'm taking my show on the road and subjugating an audience to my humor. All rise, American humorist Nick Offerman is coming September 15th on stage at the Chicago Theater. It's an evening of deliberative talking and light dance that will compel you to chuckle while enjoining you to brandish a better side of humanity than the one to which we have grown accustomed. Reserved seats are on sale noon Friday, March 22nd at the box office or at Ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Nick Offerman live and you're going to get a chance to get a pair of tickets to see nick offerman in about 2 30 30 minutes all right everybody uh, but before we get going into hour number two of your ben Jarofsky show for tuesday march 19th we need to remind you that the ben Jarofsky show was powered by unions and a lot of them all right so before we do anything else we'd like to thank the following unions for making this show possible first up the international association of machinists and aerospace workers not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, March 19th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome back legendary Chicago journalist, Mr. Monroe Anderson. It's our first Nick Offerman Chicago Theater ticket giveaway. And we welcome the ace attorney himself, the one, the only... Jim Coogan of Dwyer and Coogan. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Monroe Anderson is back. Always love having Monroe on the pride and joy of Gary, Indiana, the pride and joy of Roosevelt High School in Indiana. <laughs> Some might say the greatest writer to ever emerge from uh, in, in Gary, Indiana. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. All those things. <laughs> That's right. not Milo. Uh, Milo. Milo's listening right now. That was a debate from uh, many years ago. Milo Samarja is also from Gary, Indiana. For 10 trivia points, Monroe, before we go, yes. what high school did uh, Milo attend? 
a horse man. Very good. Give that man a blue Mustang. All right. Uh, only so many. It was only so many high schools in Gary, so and only so many in those yeah. days that white guys would go to. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. All right, Monroe Anderson. Usually we talk Trump, 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 and Trump with you, and we will be talking Trump. And uh, Jim Coogan will be coming in in a little while. Ace Attorney Jim Coogan to take the deep dive in some of the legal issues. So a lot of Trump talk ahead. But actually, before we get that, do you mind if we read our Facebook and Twitter poll questions? Go ahead, young man. All right, absolutely. Right now on both Facebook and Twitter pages is a question. Elizabeth Warren for president. Your choices are yay, nay on Facebook and yay, nay, meh on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Head over to both or either pages at Benny J show is where you can find us once again at Benny J show. We're keeping the poll open until tomorrow. So we will read those results then. But uh, we do have your comments to read. So first, let's check our Twitter page. The question again, Elizabeth Warren for president. All right, the Elizabeth Warren poll starts off here with Elizabeth. And no, not Elizabeth Warren, all right? She didn't post it herself. Just another lady named Elizabeth posted. Uh, Elizabeth puts, Warren is my number one. Her issues are middle America, and she remembers what it's like to be working class. What do you think about that, Ben? I, uh, she does, and she's been articulating these uh, this, uh, like pro-working class, pro-middle class themes for her entire political career. So I, too, am excited by Elizabeth Warren's campaign. You know, I've not made up my mind, young man. There's a lot of candidates out there, a lot more probably to come. Grandpa Joe Biden's going to throw his uh, hat in the ring. And there's a part of me, I know, Monroe, this sounds weird. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. I kind of like old Joe Biden. Oh, no, no. Joe's a good guy. I, I like Joe, too. Uh, I saw Kirsten on uh, Gillibrand, uh, Gillibrand, New York on Senator. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed with her. We have an exciting lot mm -hmm. to pick from. So I'm excited about uh, Yeah, this. I don't mind the, the crowd. I I welcome it, actually. I didn't mind the crowd for the mayor's race, either. I You know, the more the merrier. Right. Uh, it's just that I wasn't hearing a lot of the themes I wanted articulated in, in the mayor's race, as I am hearing uh, with Elizabeth Warren and the, um, and the rest of the Democrats who are running uh, for the nomination. All right, Monroe Anderson. Uh, Send your Twitter and uh, Facebook comments our way, please. Yes, Yes, indeed. All right, Monroe, uh, let's talk a little mayor's race before we uh, go back to Trump, 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 and uh, more Trump. Okay. Uh, all right, so we talked earlier today about the flyer that was handed out on Sunday at various, outside various churches on the South Side, the Gay Equality Act flyer. It's a false flyer. Uh, I, it seems as though it's an attempt to uh, stir up anti uh uh, Lightfoot sentiment by uh, taking advantage of homophobic feelings yeah. that people may have. Right. Uh, have you you've seen this flyer? Have you read the articles? And you're well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with. All it. right. So your thoughts? You've been around Chicago a while. Uh, what are your thoughts? I about told this? you this last week. If you remember, I told you this was coming. That there was a problem. If if I recall properly. Mm -hmm. You had a position, well, this is old hat and it couldn't be going on anymore. We're beyond this. Uh, now, no, I don't believe that was my position. No. Okay. My position then, yeah. as now, okay. uh, was that I don't believe this is an effective tactic in the black community. That's my personal position okay. based on years of life okay. that I do not think that this is a pivotal, uh, decisive, what, triggering point yeah. that will get a, right. a voter to go, oh, I'm going to go for... Uh, Tony Preckwinkle because Lori Lightfoot is gay. Yeah, okay. I personally, right. I do not okay. believe That's, that. Yeah. That was your position. Yeah, yeah, that okay. is my position. What do you think about that? Okay. Um, You've been around for a while. Yeah, what do you think? Do you I'm think? not sure. I yeah. know that there is some um, anti-gay feelings 
particularly in some of the churches and what have you. I don't know how large it is because it's been a while since I've been to church. (laughs) 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 A confession from Monroe Anderson. You're talking to a man who used to, when he took his kids out when Uh they were young, little, and if they misbehaved, I threatened to take them to church where they learn the discipline of sitting and behaving themselves in a place. Oh, you just try to torture your kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I say, okay, yeah. now, I've got to, if you don't, if you don't quit fidgeting or talking or whatever you're doing, I'm going to take you to church where you're going to have to learn how to do this stuff. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> so it's been a while since you've been to church. It's so been a know. while since I've been to church. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I don't think it's going to work. That's, so that is no, my okay, position. Okay, yeah, no, that's, and that's a, yeah. yeah, that's, you know, that's a sound position, but I'm, I'm just not sure if, if it didn't have the possibility of working, they wouldn't be putting them out. Somebody's putting it. Let me put it to you this way. Um, I cannot think of one election in the city of Chicago, uh, in a black district where a candidate lost because he or she championed uh, gay rights. I cannot think of one instance. There is a difference between championing gay rights and being gay. Fair enough. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know. I'm, I, we'll see. We'll, yeah. we'll find I out. I can't think of one a race in Chicago uh, where a candidate lost because he or she was gay. Um, how many in 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 Black Chicago? In Black many, Chicago, yeah, how many openly gay candidates have there been over the past? Well, years? there's a state representative from which district is that on this near South Side? That's I believe replacing Juliana Stratton. Uh, he's openly gay. Um, uh, well, Maria Haddon uh, in the 49th Ward and Alderman, so it's not a predominantly black ward, right. but it's an uh, integrated ward. No, and you know, yeah. and I'm I'm not arguing that it's a definite. Yeah. But I have a wait and see attitude. Yeah, all right. Uh, and, and the thing is, what's most critical is that Tony needs all the help she can get. Mm-hmm. Um, a poll was released today. Oh, I haven't seen this. This is breaking news uh, yes, from Monroe Anderson. Yeah. 58% for Lori. Wait, who put the poll out? Was it, <laughs> it a real I saw poll? It on GN, yeah. No, it's a real, a real poll. poll? Yeah. So I have these polls. I'm like, where <laughs> exactly. to get these things? Yeah, right. No, I saw it on GN. 58% for Lori. Uh, 30% for Tony. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, uh, it's and then the rest were undecided. undecided. Yeah. All right. People, by the way, I have to say this. I, I meant it. I think I may have alluded to this. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, just a little break here from Lori. Tony. Yeah, he, yeah. he went on this riff and my wife was reading it to me this weekend. I was just dying. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, but Samuel L. Jackson, uh, has reached that stage of life, Monroe, where he doesn't care. Okay. Right. Uh, and we're allowed to swear on this show or a podcast. Dennis is nodding his head. Uh, did you see this? It was an interview he gave with Esquire. I thought of you, uh, when, <laughs> when I read this, because I believe you've reached that age as well. Monroe Anderson, you don't care yeah, anymore. Right. Well, r- remember, um, Key and Key and, and Pill yeah. had this routine uh, during Obama's uh, lame duck year. Yes, Obama don't give a yeah <laughs> yeah right. Well, Samuel L. Jackson, um, it was an interview. He's discussing Donald Trump. Yeah. All right. And uh, I don't know if there's audio on this. I'm just going to read you the quotes. D, can I say the uh, swear words or should I edit myself? I'm going to leave, leave this up to your advice. What? I'd say edit yourself. All right. So <laughs> let everybody else curse, not you. This mother beep. 
ship is like ruining the planet and all other crazy ass beep, uh, Jackson said. If you're not saying anything, then you're complicit, and I wouldn't give a beep if I were a garbage man and I had a Twitter account, I'd tweet that beep out. I'm not thinking about who I am and what my job is when I do that. And uh, then my favorite part is uh, they were asking him about antagonizing fans. Yeah. And Samuel Jackson said, I know how many mother beeps hate me. And they say, I'm never going to see a Sam Jackson movie again. <laughs> yeah, we definitely got kicked what, off out, out of here. What the, F- those I, what the F do I care? If you, know, if you never went to another movie I did in my life, I'm not going to lose any money. I already cashed fucking <laughs> check. <laughs> Yeah. That's my favorite line right there. I already cashed that check, man. Uh, burn my videotapes. I don't give a beep. Man, I love Samuel L. Jackson. Well, you know, um, he did Snakes on a Plane. Did you ever No, that, that was Wesley Snipes. No, no, Snakes on a Plane was Samuel L. Jackson. Was that Samuel L. Yes, Jackson? because... Oh, yeah, because... Miles is nodding his head. I'm right, not. okay. What was the Wesley and, Snipes one on a plane? I don't know. Passenger 57. Oh, my oh, yeah, man. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, he knows his Wesley Snipes. Right, right, right. Oh, God, Snakes but, on a Plane was one of the worst movies ever made. I know, but, part, you know, but part of the thing is when they hired him... They wanted him to say MF because he became as 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 a result of um, um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, when he used the word, that's why his fans love to hear him curse. Yeah, and so they had a lot of MFs on snakes. You know these MF snakes on yeah, the plane. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. so, hey man, are you gonna yeah. pay me? I'll do it. Exactly right. So he 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 he. he that's his brand. All right. Know. In your opinion, who did MF better, Bernie Mac or Samuel Jackson? Different MLs. A duck and a dodge (laughs) by Monroe Anderson. And there was also Robin, um, not Williams, the black comedian. um, Robin. One of my favorites. Uh, He was uh, the guy, Robin. uh, Man, I was just watching him the other day. Yeah, right. He's passed now. Yeah, I know. He died here. Robin Harris. Yeah, Robin Harris. Yeah, Robin Harris had a good MF, too. Well, I'll tell you who had. He's the one who did. what you call them, kids? Maybe's kids. kids. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, <laughs> tell you right now, hands down, the best MF is done by my dear friend Rick Stone. When Rick Stone goes on a run yeah. and the <laughs> MF bomb is flying, right. well, I, I, I can see Rick as a contender. Hey, how about we change topics? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to more important issues right. of of the day, uh, and let's go to Trump. Let's go to Donald Trump. Uh, he speaking w- of MFs. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of MFs. Uh, yes, Donald Trump has lost his freaking mind, uh, Monroe. Yeah. The tweets. He, he went on a tweet riff, and I'm not quite sure what this was all about. Go 54. ahead. Fifty-four. Fifty-four over the course of over the weekend. Over the weekend. So Saturday and Sunday. Tweets. Yes. Fifty-four. Yeah. And about everything and anything. The the the. Thinking thought. <laughs> the thinking thought <laughs> the as thinking opposed thought. to the unthinking right, exactly. thought. Is that this Mueller thing is driving him crazy. Yeah. It's coming. Uh-huh. You know, like with Game of Thrones where they said winter is coming. Yeah. Well, Mueller is coming. And he's going absolutely nuts because he's done everything within his power mm-hmm. to try to, to, to shut this thing down. And 
he's coming to the realization that it's coming. Also, he has um, loyal patriots in the House now who put country before party, and they're going to be investigating um, the— Oh, the House of—you're talking about the in, House in, in the House of Representatives. In okay. the House of Representatives. They're going, they're, they have 81 investigations. 81. Yeah. So, I mean, it's he can't fight this off. He has a southern district of New York that's looking into him. Oh, and today, um, the, that the suit against him for violating the Emoluments Act mm-hmm. was the judge said it could go forward. Oh, we have to talk to uh, Coogan about that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the um, that's, uh, that's the issue that whether he can benefit financially, his companies can benefit financially while he is uh, the president of the United States. So, uh, yeah, and I'm sure, I know from the very get-go, uh, you've articulated the uh, idea that Donald Trump never wanted to be president. He was just uh, running for office to promote his brand, right? Uh, and now here he is, president. So he's taking right. advantage of that right. with the oh, biggest. Yeah, yeah. You know what this reminds me of? The producers. Uh, the producers, the movie, the Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, in a play. It yeah, was a play also, but where uh, they were intentionally trying to create a bad production, and it ended up becoming a hit by accident. Yeah. And that's what happened with Trump. He was just doing a reality TV show to, to increase the brand, and he up and got elected president. All right, now uh, the uh, uh, many of the tweets that he uh, tweeted out this weekend or were ducking and dodging on the issue of uh, white nationalism. Right. Uh, or promoting it, or right. um, somehow or other right. uh, attacking Muslims, uh, attacking people, uh, d- defending Judge Pirro, uh, who was suspended by Fox, right. etc. Um, when I see that, I'm here. I'm struck. Monroe is uh, is the man losing his mind, or is there a strategy? At play here is there is this an intentional strategy does he think that his road uh, to re-election that his road uh, to political savior is to uh, align himself uh, with white supremacists uh, he is aligned with white supremacists he has been a white supremacist most of his life his adult life remember he was he and his father were discriminating against blacks trying to move into to his buildings back Mm in the 70s. So this is nothing new. He took out the full-page ad against the Central Park Five, Mm -hmm. where they should be executed. Mm -hmm. And and when it was later determined that they were innocent, he he wouldn't accept that. Mm -hmm. He is the godfather of the birther movement, um, trying to um, make Obama into the other and not a legitimate president. He, ironically, this is really rich, I think, he also led the movement um, demanding that Obama show his transcripts, his college transcripts, because as we all know, Obama's stupid, and he got in there because of affirmative action and not because he could really do the work. And Monroe doesn't right. really mean that. That's a quote, so to <laughs> right. speak. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I slipped into Trump's mind for right. a, a moment. What I thought that I, is. Monroe in Trump's mind. That was scary. I'm going to do that to myself again soon. But anyway, I, the, the, the richness of it is that Trump paid 
uh, had Cohen threaten Michael all Cohen. the schools. Michael Cohen mm-hmm. threatened all the schools that had his grades mm-hmm. to never ever release them because they are so bad. I'm sure that it would be embarrassing. As when his tax returns mm-hmm. are released, are going to be embarrassing. Yeah. So, do you think that? Um the Republican Party will stick with him through all this? I mean, his inability to denounce, uh, just forcefully denounce white nationalism, even in the face of what happened in New Zealand, do you think the Republican Party will stay with him on this? Uh, They're gonna stay with him until they don't. And by that, I mean, they are trying as hard as they can to circle the wagons around him, but there will come a day when the straw will break the camel's back. Maybe next week, it may be two months from now, but it's coming. Because they, they, this man is corrupt, he's a traitor, mm-hmm. uh, he's a racist, he's, he's a misogynist. I mean, he, there's a whole list of things that he is. And at some point, they're gonna have to give up the ghost. And say bye bye, Donald. What do you think it'll be? Uh, the Mueller report? It, it could be the Mueller, Mueller report. Or another possibility mm-hmm. is um, the Southern District indicts Don Jr. and his and and Ivanka, and then the, and they cut a deal with him. Well, if you step down, we won't send them to jail forever because <laughs> they've done so much stuff. You think but that's I, a possibility? Oh, that's a possibility. He has so many vulnerabilities. I do not believe that's going to happen. Why I, not? I, I, why not? Uh, why don't I? I do, first of all, I do not believe. They, okay, okay. first of all, mm-hmm. now you know that the, um, the Southern District has a RICO investigation going on against the Trump family, mm-hmm. the organization. Yeah. And Michael Cohen, I'm sure, is going to be abetting that oh. investigation oh, yeah. as well. He has, he has some many inside. He uh, has been right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, 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 what do you, what, what don't you believe? You don't think you don't you don't think you think he'll throw his son and daughter yes. under the bus? Yes. Yes. Uh, we uh, actually we had this conversation. I don't yeah. think he'll be as honorable as. Uh, it's not honorable. No, it's Tommy Chong who did not throw his son under right. the bus and went and spent the time in the federal clink on the marijuana rap. So was someone I get into. I do not believe that Donald Trump uh, has that kind of integrity. So I just don't believe that. It's not. It's, t- it's not. It's not as much of an in- integrity. The, th- the truth oh, of the Donald matter Chung. is, Trump is a wimp. You know, I mean, for all the tough talk he does, for example. He has not, except on The Apprentice, he has never, ever, as president, mm-hmm. fired one person face except to face. Except on The President, <laughs> on The Apprentice. Yeah. The, the Apprentice. Yeah. But in real life, he, as president, he has not fired one person. And, and, I, and I have fired somebody in my life. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. To tell somebody, okay, you're out of here, because you, for whatever reason. So what he does is he gets other people to do it because he's not man enough to do it himself. And uh, yeah, so he, and then he tweets bad things about them when they're not around. He denounces them. Exactly, especially if they're dead. Yeah, especially <laughs> if they're dead. My guest is Monroe Anderson. Uh, we're talking Trump, Trump, and Trump. Uh, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan has entered the room. We're going to bring him on in a little while, broaden the conversation, get into some of the details about all the pending investigations against Donald Trump, sort of sifted out, sorted out, 
and uh, figure out what's going on. So we'll be right back after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hi, this is Nick Offerman. I'm taking my show on the road and subjugating an audience to my humor. All rise, American humorist Nick Offerman is coming September 15th on stage at the Chicago Theater. It's an evening of deliberative talking and light dance that will compel you to chuckle while enjoining you to brandish a better side of humanity than the one to which we have grown accustomed. Reserved seats are on sale noon Friday, March 22nd at the box office or at Ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Nick Offerman live all right commercial break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. i got two of my favorite people, two Trump experts uh, in the studio with me. We've been talking to Monroe Anderson, the legendary Chicago journalist. Uh, Jim Coogan from Dwyer & Coogan, the law firm. Uh, on my old show, was a regular. We always be picking apart uh, Donald Trump's illegal problems. So I'm going to bring uh, Jim on and join the conversation with Monroe. <laughs> we'll do some deep dives on Manafort, Deutsche Bank, uh, good God. Will he be impeached? Uh, the Mueller report, all that good stuff. Uh, but before we do that, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely. People, you've been hearing the ads on today's program, and the wait is over. Our first Nick Offerman Chicago Theater ticket giveaway begins right now. Now, and this one is for uh, those listening on the live stream at the moment, or at least uh, those listening on the live stream will get a head start here. Nick Offerman is a hilarious comedy actor, best known for his role as Ron Swanson on NBC's Park and Recreation. But to uh, win our first ticket giveaway, name nine other famous people named Nick besides Nick Offerman. We're calling this game Nine Famous Nicks. <laughs> That's right. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, just in case Ben spelled that last name for him. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, as my beloved Bulls did last night. S-K-Y. There you go. Head over to the, fa- uh, the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Leave us a post listing nine other famous people. It could be actors, musicians, athletes, doesn't matter. Nine other famous people 
named Nick or Nicholas. We'll take Nicholas as well, okay? Uh, so we got Nick Offerman. That's your one. All right, everybody? Now you got to name nine more. Our Facebook page and the first one to leave us uh, there. List of nine. Once verified is the winner. So once we verify it and everything looks good, and uh, those are, in fact, nine other famous people. Man, that has to be nonfiction, so, like, by the way. Uh, can't be Nick Roberson. A okay, kid could you please stop giving the... <laughs> well, he's not famous. He went to junior high with my daughter. All right, okay. okay. So if that guy was famous, yeah, that's what we're looking friend of our families so uh head over there with the first one to get uh nine famous nicks first all right it's a speed game okay so get on your phones look for nine other people named nick head over to the ben jarofsky show facebook page list those nine others the first person to list the nine gets the pair of tickets uh so once again Nine other famous people named Nick. You once you start going, you really realize it's not so hard. Yeah. Plus, you got phones now. They're all looking at. Their oh, phones. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Grab your phones. Yeah. Get it because it's a speed game. Yeah, so yeah. you can get your phones and you know be like fourth or fifth. So we're looking for the first person. We're going to keep this open uh, until the first person gets it. And uh, good luck. And live streamers, like I said, you get a head start. And uh, if you're listening on the download, check the Facebook page. Maybe no one is yet to uh, list the nine others. So head over. Best of luck. And we want to give these tickets away once again nick offerman coming to the chicago theater september 15th i know ben jarofsky's pumped about it no i love nick offerman uh and uh he's also a great actor in addition to uh being a a comic actor uh he was in the movie hearts beat loud i don't know if anybody saw that's a real daddy daughter flick if you have a daughter go see that movie a good flick nick offerman nine other nicks Help us out, everybody. Head over to the Facebook page. The first person to post nine other famous Knicks wins the tickets. All right. Very good. Good job, D. All right. With me in the studio, uh, Monroe Anderson is still here. Jim Coogan has joined us, ace attorney from Dwyer and Coogan, uh, a regular on the show. Welcome back, Jim. Ben. Long time no see. Long time no see. A few things have happened to me uh, since the last time we saw each other, but here I am. I landed on my feet. Yeah. Place looks a little different. It does. Uh, look, how about that? Not bad, huh? It's a nice new setup. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Lori Lightfoot was teasing us when she was here last week saying, oh, you got to put something on the wall, some pictures <laughs> or something like that. There it is. We have a poster of the Ben Jarofsky show on the wall. For all you folks who can't see this at home, there's a poster on the wall. Yes, there's one poster on the wall. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll throw a picture up there or something. like that. We'll put a Donald Trump picture up uh, or a Donald Trump dartboard. All right, Jim. Uh, in, uh, as a regular on our show, you've always uh, done a good job of picking apart the legal issues facing not just Donald Trump, but just legal issues in general. Uh, but let's concentrate for the moment on Trump. I may bring up that lawsuit about the woman, whether she has a First Amendment right to flip off a cop. We'll get to that one. Uh, Maybe a bonus feature. Uh, and uh, let's talk a little Trump uh, legally. Last week, I said, we got to get Coogan on to explain uh, the Paul Manafort um, trial. Why? There was two. Well, first of all, I'll start with this one. There were two sentencing judges. Uh, for Paul Manafort, the former uh, head of the Republican, uh, what is the National Committee, and a chief strategist for Donald Trump for a while before it all fell apart. Why were there two sentencing judges? So that is very unusual because in normal situations, you just have a case and you have a trial or uh, you, you might even have a sentencing after you plead to something. But in this situation, Paul Manafort was charged in two separate locations, two, two districts, two federal district courts, with two sets of crimes. So in this situation, the trial that everybody heard about was the one that took place in Virginia. Mm-hmm. That, therefore, became his first sentencing. And if folks recall, during that sequence, um, there, was, there were many questions about, so he hadn't pled guilty to anything. That's why he went to trial on the first set of 
there were charges related to finances and whether he had paid taxes and whether he had hid his finances overseas and so on. Um, the next question, once he was convicted, was, is he really going to go to trial on the rest of these charges that he was facing in, in Washington, D.C.? Uh, ultimately, he chose not to do so. So it was because different federal prosecutors in two different federal districts had separate jurisdiction over crimes that he had committed, two, two distinct sets of crimes. Uh, and if you recall, the, the most brazen of them was while he was in jail uh, waiting for the trials to begin uh, in D.C., he's calling witnesses trying to get them to, to, to influence their testimony is, is, a, is a, the kindest way you can describe yeah. it. So. All right, so the second set of charges, the first one, which w there was actual a trial, uh, was a jury trial, correct? That's right. And the jury found him guilty uh, on most of the charges. I think they may have uh, let him loose on a couple charges. I can't remember now at this moment. I think it was 8 out of 13 or 8 out of 16 that he was convicted on. Uh, no collusion, by the way, but besides, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. <laughs> right, right. But, no, they, I mean, they, obviously the, the charges have yeah. nothing to do with anything to, well, I shouldn't say they had nothing to do with Russia because Mr. Manafort had for years been mm -hmm. in the employ of either through intermediaries or directly Russian influencers. I mean, that was his role. Was Oligarchs. To, yeah, Oligarchs. absolutely. To, he, was, he was the guy. He was a PR guy, essentially. Yeah. You know, mix, mix and um, confuse the message to try to hide who's really making the message and try to make... The puppets of oligarchs look good. Yeah. Well, when you say there's no collusion, that is a joke. Uh, Trump consistently says over and over again, no collusion, no collusion, because in his mind, the investigation began, was uh, set off to determine whether or not his campaign had colluded with Putin. Uh, no collusion. Yeah. <laughs> good Lord. Uh, so, uh, so to a degree, uh, had, well, so let's go back to that, that first trial that took place and the jury found him uh, guilty on like eight out of 16. Those were specific charges that were not directly related to his role as chair of the Republican uh, committee, correct? That is true because those, the predicate things, the crimes, the actual transactions or the failure to report income and tax evasion, that had all occurred years ago. Mm -hmm. But the statute of limitations hadn't run on those crimes, so they were still able to charge him with those crimes and obviously convinced the jury that he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, so then the transition was, as he's facing those charges, was he really going to fight another set of charges in D.C.? Okay, now before we get to that second set of charges in D.C., let me put your uh, lawyer hat on for a moment here. Um, I would argue, or at least I know Paul Manafort would argue, that the case against him in that first trial in Virginia would not have happened without the collusion uh, investigation, that that's a byproduct of the collusion investigation. So do you think there's a legitimate argument to be made on behalf of Paul Manafort that uh, he was unfairly treated by our criminal justice system, that he was rounded up as collateral damage and part of a, a larger investigation into something else? It is absolutely going, has been part of his media strategy. Um, and now, just as an aside, for Paul Manafort to claim that he's some kind of a, a victim as a political prisoner is <laughs> a little yeah. bit funny because he's, I mean, yeah. he's been the part of those roundups. You know, he, he's actually advocated on behalf of the people running those kind of roundups that are legitimate uh, kangaroo courts rounding people up for political reasons. But um, 
if you really think about it, these are the kind of things that happen when you're associating yourself with criminals mm-hmm. for your entire career. I'm not overstating that. I mean, he's now convicted as a criminal. So, and and Roger Stone, a longtime associate, has been indicted and appears to have absolutely committed some of the crimes that they're charging him with. So, it's it's like anybody who's wrapped up in some kind of a RICO case, swept up in mob action in prosecutions like that, to say, "Well, I'm a victim of circumstance, and I, you know, I just happen to be here, and it's so yeah, unfair." Yeah, with, with a bag of marijuana in my pocket. Yeah. Well, okay. right, it's, and it's yeah, it's not one of those kind of raids where you know it's just completely illegitimate. This all started because of a lot of predicate information was out there. You know, the thing that drives me the craziest as I, I guess, drive myself crazy by reading things on Twitter is, mm. is I, I, I follow a lot of the new media personalities that we have from federal prosecutors who, God bless them, they're out there explaining a lot of this stuff the same way we're talking about it right now. Um, they have to keep advocating, like, these are legitimate prosecutions. These are career prosecutors who have spent their entire careers understanding the criminal code, dealing with high-level, complicated prosecutions for which you have to gather reams and reams of data, Mm -hmm. of evidence to put these cases together, dozens of witnesses, executing search warrants properly, organizing all this information into timelines. Um, This isn't just some kind of off-the-cuff witch hunt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Robert, Robert, or excuse me, uh, Robert Mueller, a career politically a Republican. Mm-hmm. Rod Rosenstein, a Republican. Mm-hmm. These, these are not politically motivated investigations and prosecutions. So that notion drives me crazy, mm-hmm. especially coming from these people. Jim Coogan is my guest in the studio along with Monroe Anderson. We're talking about the crimes and misdemeanors uh, of uh, one Donald Trump and his... No uh, collusion. No collusion. <laughs> and his Confederates, uh, Paul Manafort. All right, now, uh, Jim, you were talking about the first trial, which uh, was very uh, dealt with very specific charges of concealing income from the IRS, et cetera, et cetera, uh, by Paul Manafort when he was acting on behalf of... Uh, of oligarchs throughout the world and dictators, et cetera, et cetera. Really unseemly material. Uh, and it also exposed his lavish lifestyle where he was making all this this fortune, which he was largely um, keeping from the IRS and not, uh, so he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it, and buying up all these fancy clothes and live, you know huge houses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so the it was ostri- a, ostrich um, ja- jacket, yeah. <laughs> the ostrich, ostrich skin jacket, yeah, for uh, example, thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars on one jacket. Yes. Uh, that came out during the trial. All right, so the second uh, series of charges uh, in Washington, what would that have to do with? Um, th- that was actually, that had to do with, well, specifically his trying to silence witnesses who were going to testify against him. That was probably the most serious of the charges. Uh, and I think it also had to do with registration, Foreign Registration Act, or failure to register as a, a foreign agent uh, advocate, basically. And so do you think that uh, he got a, a fair sentence? What was it, three and a half years, I want to say, for that second? Right. Intimidating witnesses. Right. I'm going to make the argument here, and you can feel free to disagree with me, as I know you will, and Monroe... Get your thoughts on this as well. Intimidating witnesses, I, I would think you would get more than three and a half years. Uh, it seemed kind of light to me. What's yeah, your I mean, the, the problem with that kind of a crime, because uh, there's a very misleading term that gets thrown around some, mm-hmm. sometimes when, when we're dealing with these particular sets of individuals, um, process crimes. I think Republican strategists try to use that phrase because it sounds benign. 
uh, obstruction of justice is, quote-unquote, a process crime. But when you're in, actually intimidating or, or trying to create some kind of obstacle to stop a witness from testifying, that goes to the very heart of the operation of the criminal justice system. There, there aren't, I mean, other than directly threatening a judge, there's not a whole lot that's more serious than that when it comes to if witnesses can't testify, then prosecutions would fall apart. Those kind of things are, are, are antithetical to the administration of justice itself. So, I, you know, in this situation, J Judge Jackson decided to have some of the sentence run concurrently mm -hmm. and then the rest of it to run afterwards. So she effectively just added about three and a half years onto what he had previously been sentenced. Is it light? Uh, you know, I, I guess I don't know what the range of, I don't know how many other prosecutions there are for witness intimidation and uh, obstruction to compare it to. Yeah. Um, you know, the range was higher than that that they had yeah, but, recommended. But, but the judicial system, like much in America, is racist. Mm, I was going to raise that yeah, issue. It's, it's racist. Mm. For example, um, Judge Ellis gave William Jefferson 13 years. Congressman, uh, Congressman from, yeah, from uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, New Orleans. Yeah, from, mm -hmm. yeah, from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Cold cash, Jefferson. Yeah. He had his money in the, fr in the refrigerator. Yes, he did. Freezer. I remember yeah. that case. Right, exactly. Okay. He got a lot of time mm -hmm. for basically the same crime uh, that um, Ellis was trying um, Manf Manafort. Uh, Manafort on. Mm -hmm. And when he gave him the time, he said he wanted to make an example of him. Manafort, on the other hand, was a, a great citizen except for the crimes he created. That, that's uh, sarcasm on the part of Monroe Anderson. <laughs> I always have to point that out. Great citizen uh, oh, yeah, in quotes. Right, exactly, right. Well, Jesse, and we're, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson Jr., there's some people who raised this issue with him. I don't know if you saw this, Jim Coogan or Monroe. Uh, Jesse, uh, Aaron Schock, who was a congressman from the Peoria, a Republican yeah, congressman, right. they did not charge him, as I recall, with uh, crimes uh, that were similar to the ones that Jesse Jackson was tried and sent spent time in the federal right. clink uh, in on uh, does anybody call it the clink aside from me whatever yeah. uh, and uh, uh, so you know I had make gave me pause Monroe oh, and I, I consider I know, no you know forty years ago Richard Pryor had this joke uh -oh. where he said <laughs> we're gonna go, get in trouble again <laughs> you go you go down to the jail yeah and uh, you see the justice system. Just us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that was a pretty good joke. Good, good to, it didn't involve any words that would, uh, right, no, no, would make no, us uncomfortable. No, I'm, I'm getting ready for radio. Yeah, you're getting ready for radio again. Uh, Monroe Anderson and Jim Coogan in the studio with me. We're talking about uh, Donald Trump's trials and tribulations in the legal system, uh, specifically with Paul Manafort, uh, who has now been sentenced on two occasions, a total of about seven and a half years, I want to say. It's a tough problem top of my head all right uh jim coogan what do you think the implications are for donald trump himself with pam uh, paul manafort uh getting these sentences well so broadly speaking i think we're in a very strange time in our history when it doesn't it's somehow a victory or it's been portrayed as a victory for trump or for his campaign or some sort of vindication that his former campaign manager was only sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. Mm. Uh, I mean, you get tired of the, the the comparison game in your head, but you think to yourself, 
what would have happened if that had been David Axelrod or oh, somebody yeah, or David right. Plouffe or right. somebody on on Obama. Barack Obama's yeah. staff in his during his 2008 campaign? I mean, it would have been the end of the world for conservatives. And I, the the fact that they wouldn't just objectively look at this and say, "Look, all right, fine, maybe." Maybe Manafort's first trial, he would not have been investigated. That's, by the way, the fact that he was only investigated for these things after the fact, once he was under the microscope, that's a failure of the system to have the kind of resources, as Monroe pointed out, that, that it's, it's, they're not, the resources aren't directed at looking at white-collar crimes. That's, right. that's, the, that, that's something that can be depicted as a racist component of the American federal justice system. Because mainly rich white men commit Sure. Right, pay, uh, those types of crimes. I mean, who's hiding? Who's hiding a million dollars in assets unless a guy who has, you know, a million dollars of illicit income from Russian oligarchs? Yeah. So, um, or in this situation, not every tax evader is being paid by Russian oligarchs, but this particular one obviously is. So, um, you know, what are the broader implications for Trump now? This, at this point in time, there's no indication that Mr. Manafort has volunteered any information the time that he supposedly was cooperating with investigators according to characterizations in the media was worthless he wasn't giving them any real information maybe he was even misleading them right. and sending him off on wild goose but chases the, the theory is that he's he's playing for a pardon and that's sure. what our, he's holding out for donald trump to pardon, yeah, him. to pardon him can trump pardon him on both crimes donald trump has god love us <laughs> he has unrestricted and unfettered power to pardon any person who's been convicted of a federal crime. But, as you know, following the sentence in D.C., uh, Paul Manafort was indicted in the state of New York. Right. For mortgage fraud. <laughs> now, and, and the important I thing there, of course... That. I actually forgot so, that. There, ben, there's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> oh to keep track God, of. Right. Um, right. No collusion. So, right. so, so the important thing there is, whatever happens with that case, oh and I assume God. that they have a strong case as well, yeah. uh, he has no pardon power over state crimes. Yeah. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. The federal president of the United States has no authority over the justice systems of individual sovereign states in the United States. So he can pardon him for the two federal crimes, but he can't pardon him for uh, the crime in New York. Wow, what a slick move. Yeah. So therefore, uh, there's really no incentive. Think about it from Donald Trump's right. perspective. You don't get anything by pardoning. You just get a blowback. Well, well the only thing you could possibly get mm. is a signal to other people yeah. who could sing on Trump that he's got your back. So don't talk. Uh, and unless in every case uh, <laughs> there's a secondary prosecution in a state court right. and that well, trumps his ace. Right. No well, pun intended. Mueller has been farming out every case that doesn't directly um, connect with collusion. All these other crimes, because you know, because this is a band of thieves. Yeah. I mean, it, this this is really a terrible group of people. It's true. And so he's been he's been given the the Virginia court some, the New York court some, the D.C. court some, and uh, the the Florida court may be getting cases pretty soon. All right, that's Monroe Anderson. We have Jim Coogan in the studio as well. We're doing Trump talk, Trump legal talk. We'll be right back after this. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. 
We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at Publisher at Chicago Reader Corp. at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of The Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, <laughs> man, take us home. I love that. I don't know where you found that, but I just love that music. I uh, tell you every time. <laughs> it's just in this little library. It's just always, whenever it comes out, oh, yeah, I really love that music. Uh, two of my favorite people in the studio, Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson, were talking about the trials and tribulations of one Donald John Trump, the man that America decided in its infinite wisdom to elect as president. Oh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to Trump and his legal problems and so little time to do it. We're going to have to bring them both back. But before we come back for the finale, for a bonus round, if you will, D, what you got for me? I know you have an update. Absolutely. We have our winner for our uh, nine famous Nick challenge. Yes. If you uh, just joined us, well, you missed the contest giveaway. Uh, Earlier, we asked uh, for tickets to Nick Offerman at the Chicago Theater, September 15th. All you have to do is name nine other people named Nick that are famous. Nonfiction. That's all you had to do. Be the first person on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. It'll leave us nine famous Nicks, and the tickets are yours. Uh, Looks like we may have a winner, but i got to run it by the panel here to to verify to make sure that these people are, in fact, famous uh, people named Nick. So we're going to go to Aaron. I believe Aaron has the nine Nicks. She was the first to post. (laughs) Go ahead. Her first. Nick Nolte. Oh, yeah, the actor, Nick Nolte. We all agree on that one. One of Monroe's favorite actors. Oh, we did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that either. Wow. And I don't think Monroe knew that. <laughs> Up next, Nick Drake. Nick Drake, the great uh, uh, actor, Nick Drake, Is right? That- isn't it, <laughs> is that Drake's name? Yeah. No, no, it's not, definitely not Drake. Our, we have a Drake expert a... in the studio, Miles Porter. Drake's name is definitely, isn't uh, Drake, what's that? Yes, that is correct. All right, well, do we know who Nick Drake is? I thought he was like a singer-songwriter guy. Yes. English singer-songwriter Nick Drake. Did not know that, but that's good enough. If Jim knew him, give it. All right. I'm handing this over, basically. (laughs) Up next, oh, we all know this one. Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, Nicholas Cage. I love Nicholas. Yeah. You like Nicholas Cage? Yes, yes. Yeah, we all agree we like Nicholas Cage. <laughs> By the right. way, for ten trivia points, who's Nicholas Cage's? What is it? Is uh, uh, uncle? Uncle. Yes, I very think. good. Yeah. Yeah, is uh, the the movie director Francis Coppola? Yes, right. very good. Well, you know how to kill a segment. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage up next. <laughs> Nick Young. Nick Young. Nick Young from the Los Angeles Clippers slash Lakers. Where is he now? Yeah. I don't know where he's at. I love how you're talking to a guy with no mic that nobody can hear. Way to go, Ben. This is the only guy I know who knows who Nick Young is. No, he's, he's a he used to play for the Golden State Warriors. Player. Yes. Yeah. Wow, Coogan yeah. knows his stuff. Three guys with a mic going to the guy with without one. All right, uh, so Nick Young, okay, that passes. Up next, Nick Jonas. 
Nick Jonas, the Jonas Brothers. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, Jonas. Right. One of Monroe's favorite bands, yeah, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Our next famous, you're, you're killing it so far, Aaron. Our next famous Nick, Nick Carter. Nick back, Carter. Backstreet Boys. Uh, oh! Okay. So you hit Monroe. two of my favorite bands so far. <laughs> two for one. That's Monroe's favorite Backstreet Boys. Oh, exactly. I know what Monroe's listening to after the show. Uh, All right, right. Up next, uh, Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon. I know Nick Cannon. You know Nick Cannon. You know Nick Cannon. Oh, yeah. Is that the Drum producer? roll. Uh, <laughs> All right, so that's eight. Okay. Right. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that was seven. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Nick Foles. Nick Foles, the yeah. quarterback. Super Bowl MVP. Sick. Super Bowl MVP for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Now, I guarantee Ben won't know this one. <laughs> Our ninth famous person uh, named Nick. Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Nick Nick Cave is fiction, isn't he? No, am I the only one that knows this? Uh, uh, oh, no. The, the, oh, the sculpture. Oh, there's the a sculpture. band. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I, I, Jim, come well, on. You're my band expert. Uh, I, I think they come on after the chain smokers. Uh, <laughs> no, there's an artist named Nick Cave. There also. is an Black artist. Art, yeah, an artist, artist named Nick Cave as well. Uh, Miles, you ever heard of Nick Cave the band? Oh. All right, it yeah. doesn't work. I'm Nick sorry. Cave and the Bad Seeds. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go, Aaron. Congratulations. Yep. Oh, that's You're nine? That's okay, nine. Okay, all right, very good. Good job. And uh, tomorrow we're going to be giving away tickets as well. Uh, I think we have two more pair to give away, so be listening tomorrow for your chance. I think we're going to give it to the downloaders tomorrow. Oh, so, downloaders. Just, I, you know, I, we, gotta, we got something planned here. Actually, we don't. I got to come up with something for tomorrow's show. Right, so that's right. how we'll do that. So usually we would uh, sign off, but uh, I feel as though I feel in the need of a little bonus time. I got uh, Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson. We're talking uh, Trump's trials and tribulations. So just a little bonus time here. Uh, three issues that are on my mind. Uh, one, Michael Cohen. Uh, two, Deutsche Bank. And three, is giving the finger uh, First Amendment protected speech. We're going to deal with all those. The last one, by the way, is not directly related to Trump. Although there was a woman, I don't know if you remember this, Jim Coogan, Monroe Anderson. Remember that she got fired because she flipped the bird at Donald Trump's uh, was motorcade. It? Motorcade yeah, as it yeah. went by. She lost her job on right. that one. So we'll get to that one. Number one, Michael Cohen. Uh, Jim, since you've been on the show, Michael Cohen was singing like a canary uh, regarding Donald Trump. I didn't see that coming because I remember the, we've had many Michael Cohen conversations down through the times. We did, although I think we talked after his offices were raided. And I, if we went back to the tapes, I have a feeling we probably came to some consensus that that would be coming, that at some point in time, once that evidence was all out there, and they sat down with him and showed him what they had. Um, he wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight. But yeah. then again, you know, he was the loudest thug uh, right. among the group, so but, you know, but, but whether he would actually flip was a question. He, he had a sudden conversion to patriots. <laughs> patriotism. Yeah, now he's America's hero. Well, right. let me ask both of you that. Um, Don, we talked. I actually talked about this last week or two weeks ago, I want to say. Uh, when in his testimony, he told those Republican senators something. There was something I took away from it where he says, you're all t- attacking me right now. You're not even discussing the issues I'm laying out here. I understand what you're doing. I'm just going to warn you. People who defend Donald Trump, it doesn't work out well for them. I learned it the hard way. Do you believe Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson that what he when he said that he was heartfelt or do you think that was just part of the game? Well, uh, here's what I would say about his testimony in general, and it goes to that point. I was not expecting for him to testify with as much, uh, as articulately and with as much conviction as what he displayed. 
I don't know if all that was still some kind of a different type of show, you know, an alternative to the thug character he played on TV when he was <laughs> advocating for Trump as president or being Trump's best buddy and water carrier and fixer and bagman. Um, and maybe he's just a really good actor. But when he talked about that, whether he was acting or not, the fact of the matter is, is it was insightful. Yeah. Because that's exactly what they're doing right, right. now. And, and, and there's no wrath like a fixer scorned. So it was insightful. Whether it's true, whether he believed it, is almost of secondary importance. And I think, yeah, as, as Monroe, you're 100% right. He's also ticked off because as soon as he started talking, all of a sudden, big surprise, Mr. Demands Loyalty from Everyone But Has None for Anyone, yeah. uh, Trump flips on him in a second, calls him weak, yeah. calls him a loser, right. calls him, I th- either, he, either he said low IQ or something akin to that, because these are all his go-to insults for people, but he had no love left for Michael Cohen, so vice versa, I guess. Yeah, he just did the low IQ one. I don't know if you saw this, Monroe, with Joe Biden. Did you oh, see yeah, that? Right. Tweeted out. Right. One of the We talked about the 51 tweets. Trump lost his mind. He's 54. stuck at the White House all week. At 54, was 54. it? 54. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I missed kind of 51. What did they say about glass houses? Sorry. Yes. Uh, uh, this story, we're not definitely not giving it enough time. Uh, Jim, next time you're in, we'll take a, maybe a deep dive on it. The New York Times, I urge everybody uh, who is following the trials and tribulations of Donald Trump should check this out about his connections with Deutsche Bank. Um, there's even a Chicago angle on this one, Monroe. I don't know if you, uh, you, you read the story. Risky business and Trump loans. Deutsche Bank, a German bank, uh, lending Trump the money he needed to build many projects, including... Trump Tower, uh, just sort of give us the um, thumbnail sketch on this one, Jim. So I'll give you two things. Give you a thumbnail, and I'll tell you what's not in there that probably means more, and that's what this article is really leading to. Okay. This this article outlines 15, 20 years of lending practices at a bank that has been very troubled over the years. They were, I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie uh, that they made about the, the big short movie. Deutsche Bank was depicted as basically the sucker yeah. that you could unload. After everybody else knew that these mortgage-backed securities were garbage, they were still unloading them to Deutsche Bank. Now, whether mm-hmm. that's because they don't know what they're doing or they had some ulterior motive is another question. Here, they do business with Donald Trump in spite of the fact that they know him to be a credit risk but continue to portray him as maybe not being a credit risk. There's there's continuous references in there to him not having a lot of debt. but. During the 1980s and 90s, he depicted himself as the king of debt. So I'm not sure what they were evaluating exactly. Um, you know, the story in there about after he defaults on loans, uh, he turns around and it's specifically related sues to Chicago. Him. <laughs> he, yeah, he sues him. They sue, they, they sue him for defaulting. He sues, he countersues them for $3 billion, yeah. which was more than the value of the loan. I, I didn't read the pleadings. I don't know exactly how he came up with that figure, but that was related oh to Trump Tower here in Chicago. Um, <laughs> So it's a very strange story because what you're, what you're, what's depicted there is a very curious situation. Why would a company whose business is to make money off of money give money to someone who constantly spends it and loses it, never pays them back or rarely pays them back, or in one instance, the, one of the other hilarious highlights, he borrows money from one division to pay back a loan to a different division at the same bank. Right. I mean, no bank would yes, do that right. kind of thing in a rational world. And, so here's... And, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, the theory is... I'll cut to the chase. Yeah. The theory is that Deutsche Bank was laundering the money of the Russian oligarchs. Yes. That's what's not in the article. That's right. what's not in the article. Right. It, it's not in the... No, Monroe has been saying that on my show for a long time. <laughs> yeah, for a year and a half. For a year and a half. Right. All right, so it's not in the article. Why? Because they don't have that... At, 
the well, goods on that one? I don't think that the New York Times, that uh, Enric, the writer for this particular article, has that information now. Or mm-hmm. there's other, they may have in- inclinations of that, mm-hmm. but not have verifiable sources that they can print yeah, the New York that Times they, That over. they can be sued for. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they're... they're they actually do journalism, so it's right. you know that, that that's just a theory anyway. Right. We don't know if it's no, any way remotely yeah, right, true. Exactly, that's yeah. what I said. Although yeah. it's right. it's the only thing that makes sense. Right, logically speaking, what else would explain constantly, continuously over the course again twenty years losing tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars by associating yourself with a guy? The the marketing excuse doesn't go very yeah. far. You know, there's there's stuff in there about how they knew he would promote their they could promote the fact that he's affiliated with the bank or. He was keeping some money in a in a uh, investment account. Those don't offset the amount of losses. Not to mention, what about the reputational damage for dealing with someone who's making a fool of your bank, basically? Oh, and that that one where it's in this particular story, folks. I urge you all to read it. Uh, having to do with Trump Tower here in Chicago, where uh, he owed them money and he sued them. Remember, what it was like he they concocted some crazy excuse about the economic dirt. Well, the the way he tried to spin it, or his lawyers must have come up with this, they took a statement from Alan Greenspan yes. that the downturn in the markets was some kind of a tsunami. Right. And spun that into claiming that under force majeure, the Latin words for act of God as they refer to it in contracts, that somehow the market turning like that was an act of God, and that was the reason Donald Trump couldn't sell a bunch of overpriced it, condos yeah. and defaulted on the loan. Right. So that was his base. That was his base. And I remember in the article, they quote Trump saying, you're a genius. You came up with that one. We'll try it. He's speaking to his lawyer. You know that's right up his alley. I'm sure that is exactly how that conversation All right, so let's out. get a prediction before we move to the next issue on the, the ramifications of this article or this investigation. Monroe, do you think it's going to... Uh, uh, come back to haunt Donald Trump in in other legal cases. Oh, f- for sure, for sure, and because it's 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 leading to collusion. <laughs> I, I mean, unlike some of his other dealings, where you know that there's going to be proof that yeah. he. Well, here it, it references the other issue. At the end of the article, was their bid for the Buffalo Bills. Yes, Donald Trump was trying to borrow the money from Deutsche Bank to buy this Buffalo Bills. Bank fraud is still team. bank fraud. And inflating his assets and claiming that he had more money than he did. No bank in order fraud. To get no that. bank fraud. Right, right. I mean, that's now it's three words, but less syllables, I guess. So, um, no you know, fraud. That, that, the no fact collusion. that they have a witness, but they also have documentary evidence, yeah. could lead. You know, now you have all the other issues that go with what the Justice Department guidelines say about indicting a president. How far can they go with that while he's sitting in office? Those are all separate issues. But the crime, there's probably evidence of that crime. Yeah. All right. I urge everyone again to read this story. And there's pro- you're absolutely correct. This is just the start, I think, of uh, Deutsche Bank investigations. All right. We'll close with this one. Uh, this was a delightful. Uh, we used to, Jim Cook and I used to take the deep dive in cases like this all the time. We're going to do a little shorter dive here. And this has to do, it's a, a First Amendment case of all things. Uh, a woman who uh, flipped off a police officer uh, and then successfully argued, uh, Jim Coogan, that she, uh, that's First Amendment protected speech. Tell us a little bit more about that case. Well, that is a that is a hallmark of the, the concept that America's a rough place and, and you can, as long as you're not breaking the law, you can speak however you want to speak, right? Uh, in the odd situation here, so she, she's driving down the street, cop clocks her speeding, pulls her over, decides to be nice, mm-hmm. and writes her a ticket for less than speeding. 
So I guess she was still upset because she didn't like the fact that this was a speed trap. And even though he was nice to her when he drove away, or when she drove away, I should say, mm-hmm. she sticks up a middle finger at him. Cop didn't like that, <laughs> uh, being a human being. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's probably thinking, listen, I just gave you a break. What do you mean? What yeah. are you doing? Pulls her over again. Now he writes her the full speeding ticket. Um, and, and I should mention that they didn't, this is not in the context of her traffic crime. She definitely did whatever that was. Yeah. But she turned around and sued the police department because she said this is a violation of her civil rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, she hasn't won the case. However, it went all the way up to the Sixth Circuit. A federal circuit court had to decide whether a lady flipping off a cop was protected by the First Amendment or not. So that actually made it all the way. And again, folks, that's one level below the United States Supreme Court. So this is very high-level stuff. And they said this is protected. And unless he has a separate legal justification to pull her over a second time, he is abusing his power. Wow. All right. Now, Monroe Anderson, in your humble opinion, having lived in this earth for as many years as you've lived on this earth. Yeah, long time. Long time. uh, What would happen if you... Uh, flipped off a Chicago police officer and then claimed you was First Amendment protected speech. Um, I could be a, a story about somebody who got shot because they thought I was reaching for a gun. <laughs> Which is not First Amendment <laughs> right. protected speech. Right. Exactly, right. No, no, no. This woman was stupid. You know, you don't, why would you flip off a cop after he gives you a ticket <laughs> at, at, yeah. at a bargain rate? Yeah. Give her a break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she should have gave yeah. him a big kiss on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she didn't intend for him to see the, you know, her flip him off. Who knows, you know. Well, could why be... flip somebody off if they can't see it? Hey, That's listen, too. if a cop gave me a break like that, I'm with you, Monroe. Right. I'd be like, thank you. Right. Okay, I would right. not even think about it. You know, that kind of thing. And as a black man in in America, I I learned very early on to yes, sir, cops. I give them my full appreciation, (laughs) my full respect. Yeah. And so so I've had less troubles than other people who rightfully have been upset with them. All right. Very good. That is Monroe Anderson. I want to thank uh, Monroe for coming on, talking Trump, Trump, and Trump. Jim Coogan, ace attorney from Dwyer and Coogan. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to have to bring you both back. You really work well together. Both obsessed with Donald Trump. You really know the law, Jim Coogan. It's always fun to have you on. Maya Dukmasova from the Chicago uh, Reader was my guest earlier in the day, talking uh, p- Chicago politics. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, behind the board, wheeling and dealing like the ace he is, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Right, we <laughs> got to stop saying great that one. Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. Big thank you to those unions. And, of course, today's show brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor.